The Jason Cabinets Experience is sponsored by Cabinets HR. Cabinets HR delivers HR to companies with 49 or fewer people across the United States with our platform that automates HR products and services while giving you access to a dedicated HR business partner for more complicated HR challenges. Small business loses an estimated $10,000 per employee per year because of unreliable HR. Small business owners are spending an average of 25% of the time on HR, time that would be better spent taking care of their people, their customers, and building their business. Cavernous HR saves small business owners time and money on, on their HR. Sign up at www.cavernousHR.com or email me at jasoncavernous at cavernousHR.com to learn more. Cavernous HR, focus on your business. We've got your HR. This is the Jason Kavnis Experience, hosted by Jason Kavnis. Join Jason as he talks to small business owners and startup founders and other interesting people as we gain great insights about business, people, leadership, HR, and how each guest strives to be great every day. Hello, and welcome to Jason Kavnis Experience. I'm your host, Jason Kavnis. Our guest today is Leanne Liskey. Leanne, you ready to be great today? Yes, let's be great. Leanne is a founder and CEO of Plausible, a live online entertainment platform for, for transforming engagement between comedians and their fans. Comedians are scheduled and produce their own shows, receive audience feedback, and grow a global fan base. Comedy fans can sort through a talent directory, stream live performances, and enjoy live comedy with friends. Leanne studied con- comedy at the Upright Citizens Brigade, the Magnet Theater, the Second City, and I.O. Chicago. She wrote, performed, and produced a critically acclaimed one-woman show, produced and hosted a comedy open mic for over seven years, and produced, a host, and produced and hosted a weekly stand-up show in New York City. In 2019, she decided to take her comedy online, only to discover new challenges with existing technologies. It was then she decided to take matters in her own hand, and Plausible was born. Leanne, thanks for being here today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So first question, what do you do for fun? <laughs> what is fun? Uh, I, comedy. Comedy is fun. That's pretty much it. <laughs> like Comedy and uh, I like a good book. And I like a, I like, I have a Kindle, but I prefer like paper books. Paper books. Yeah. I know a lot of people like the, the actual books. Yes. I love the library. And uh, uh, Any books you're reading right now? I actually just purchased a book that a friend wrote. Uh, a friend of mine from New York called Harvest. And so I just sent for that and then uh, started cracking that open last night. So you're also a certified coach with that thing called International Confederation of Coaches, something like that? Yes. So ICF, is that like the same thing as a John Maxwell Leadership Academy or is that something totally different? So the International Coaching Federation is basically the governing body for life coaches. So they're the ones who uh, we get certified through. They're probably one of the most, as far as I know, they are the most credible way of getting certified as a coach. So you can get an ACC, which is a certified associate certified coach, a PCC, which is a professional certified coach, and then a master's coaching certificate. So I have my PCC through ICF and uh, but I did my training through Coachville, which is a 
phenomenal coaching training school, which it took several years to go through their entire program. So, are, you, are you actually coaching anyone right now? Not at the moment. I am 100% all in on plausible, but um, I was coaching for several years and had a, a wonderful coaching roster of clients. And what, like, what kind of coaching do you do? Is like entrepreneurship or like personal health or like what kind? You know what? It's... I would just say life coaching. And a lot of people came to me for career coaching. Uh, some people came to me for relationship coaching. Some people came to me for uh, wellness coaching, if you will, kind of to like, but it's all intertwined, right? Because like our lives aren't siloed. And I think as entrepreneurs, we kind of know that like everything melds together in some format. If one place is out of balance, it kind of throws everything else out of balance. So it's amazing. Someone might come to me for one thing and it kind of cracks open a whole bunch of things. And so we work uh, through like when they're work when we're working through any sort of goal. And I found this in my own life is it it's not about getting from A to B. It's about becoming the person I need to be to get there. Yeah. So, so this was probably unfair, but like maybe this is me recently, but it's like recently, like at least once a day, I get email, look at Mr. Either financial advisor or coach, right? You're like, hey, Jason, we can help improve your business by twenty five thousand percent, or we can improve your life. I've been, I'm like, I have no idea who you are. Like, we're not even first in connection. Like, it, like I don't get it why people do that, right? Right. Like, like I just don't get it, right? Like, you want me, you want to be my coach, and you're like, we're not even second order, nothing, right? Like, and it drives me actually crazy. Like, people do that. Same. I feel like a lot of people use the name, the term coach as their title for many different reasons or different ways. And it's uh, a little bit confusing. And I get those same emails. I'm like, and, and what blows my mind about emails that are cold calls or, you know, like uh, spam, whatever a better term, I get those all the time. It's like, if you didn't even look at what I do. And so they try to use a one size fits all and they... It makes no sense for my business. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, stop. Just I, at least once trash. a week, I get an email or LinkedIn from my HR company or HR consultant. No, I'm, I'm James Brown. I do HR for small companies. Yeah. Do you even see the in, in <laughs> HR? Do you ever see the HR in my, my business name, right? Like, yes. uh, are you freaking kidding me right now? I get a lot of coaches who want to coach a coach. I'm like, please stop. <laughs> and the thing with these, a lot of these coaches, like, you know, like, are they really certified? You have like the, what they call ICF credential, right? Yeah. So I mean, even I know that is, right? I know that's a big deal, right? Yeah. Life people, you know, like I'm a life coach. Dude, you're 24 years old or, you know, or, <laughs> or, you know, yeah. or, or, or I'm, a, I'm a marriage counselor. You've been divorced 18 times. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's pretty interesting. I think, like I said, I think coach is used sometimes interchangeably with like a consultant or, um, I don't know, a bunch of different things, but it's not, not everybody is a, and you're like, a certified is, coach. Is, first, is that is this method working for you? And number two, are people actually paying you? Like, Yeah, but it's interesting. So I've had a coach. So I, so going through training, I had, I at different points had a coach. And when you have a legit coach, it makes a tremendous amount of difference. And it's not like they're telling as a, as a coach, we're not supposed to tell, give unsolicited advice or tell you what to do. And we're not teacher. So hosting a workshop on how to is kind of not the thing uh, that we're supposed to do ethically. So, um, but, but like, how do I explain it? Yeah. I, I just, I've had really good experience with real 
life coaches who really know how to get into the deeper uh things that are really important that I want to get to. Cause I, I feel like we can get so wrapped up into a to-do list, just checking things off a list. And that is so different than actually getting results, yeah. especially in business, right? Yeah. There's a million things we could do, but it's like, let's turn around and focus on what actually gets us the results we need. And the problem with to-do lists, a lot of us, you know, make a list one to 10 and we start working on number 10 versus number yes, one, right? exactly. And as a coach, what I find as a coach, will be able to identify some of those things that that are where we kind of get in our own way and help us untangle that and get to the things that are going to get there faster. And sometimes there are things that we never thought of or um, like, oh, I didn't think I could do that. And they it, it's just really helpful to have those deeper conversations and 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 they ask the right questions to kind of not I guess not leading, but. Yeah. Kind of, we kind of have the answers anyway, but kind of giving us permission to do it because sometimes we see and we hear all of this feedback of we're supposed to do this and there's only one path. And if you want to get here, you have to do these things. Well, what if you don't? What if you could do it a different way? Because not everybody's built the same. Exactly. So, Leanne, next, uh, you took part of something that's called the Wayfinder Incubator. Yeah. Can you talk about that, your experience with that? I can. So, Wayfinder is part of the Beale Center at uh, UCI. Uh, University of California, Irvine's The Cove. And that's like the place where all the entrepreneurship activities happen and and people can really network and that's their ecosystem um, on the UCI campus. And it's interesting because uh, I went to UCI and it was during COVID, so we never really got to go there. But this phenomenal uh, incubator called Wayfinder uh, takes X number of startups each year for their cohort and I applied, I got in and it's, um, it was great because I was so early stage that I didn't have, I only had my, my very minimum viable product at the time, but I had the, re they gave me the resources. So I liked it. It was kind of self-serve. It's kind of like, here are all of our resources. And then, you know, I could go and like, oh, I need some of this and I need some of that. And I could go and I knew where to find them. And I found that the the people who offered their time and uh, input and insight were super beneficial. And so I attended all the workshops, you know, when they came up and and attended them. And and through that, by by showing up and attending these things, I ended up meeting new people. And from there, I met uh, Chris Halliwell, who uh, was hosting a workshop, which was phenomenal. And we chatted and then she was like, Hey, we are opening applications for the long beach accelerator. And I was like, yes, I'm applying to that. So were those like partner programs? Or? No, two separate programs. So I was in an incubator and by going to all of these online functions, cause again, still COVID, right. Um, going to all of the things and meeting all the right people, from there, I was introduced to another person who told me about another accelerator program that was just starting. I think they already had uh, one and one or two cohorts. I was in the third cohort, so it was a very new accelerator. And I applied and went through that application process and interview process and got in. And through that, that's where I got my first uh, pre-seed round. Oh, nice. So, which was fantastic. And and, you know, it's just kind of the going from from the Masters of Innovation and Entrepreneurship program at UC that it, it, in Irvine, right into an incubator. I is a great way to keep the momentum moving forward and keeping tapped into all of those resources and staying within an ecosystem. And then from there, meeting more people and going into another accelerator that 
that also came with funding was fantastic. That was exactly what I needed and the timing was perfect. You bring a great point. I think a lot of entrepreneurs, they lose momentum for whatever reason, their own fault, someone else's fault. How do you personally maintain momentum? Wine? <laughs> no. Um, how do I, I think it's, I think it's, it's not so that, so I think it's going, you know, continuing on with the network, like continuing being immersed into the ecosystem and, and showing up to things and, and seeking them out. Um, not everybody's going to come knocking on my door as much as that would be super convenient and cool. That's not the way it happens. So I just have to, uh, making, making sure I add those things into my calendar on a regular basis so that I'm continually meeting people. So you've been in several incubated accelerators, we don't call them, and we'll talk about some more in a minute. But obviously one big pro would be you got fund, pre-seed funding. Mm -hmm. But besides that, can you talk about some pros and cons of being in accelerators? Sure. So I think the pro is, so sadly enough, I didn't know what incubators and accelerators were years ago. I did. I was like, someone's like an incubator and accelerator. I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking, what words you're speaking. <laughs> you know, I'm going to be honest, but um, because entrepreneurship to me is much different than owning a business. Like there's owning brick and mortar businesses and things like that, uh, which will will fall under the umbrella of small business. And then there's entrepreneurship in, in a different sense that's very scalable businesses. Um, so everybody I knew in my past had small businesses. And so when you think in terms of, of having your own business, you sometimes could go and get a loan and fund your own business and then get a place and secure a lease and do those things. So when, when I found through once I knew what an incubator and accelerator were through school and everything is like, wow, this is kind of like a springboard. This is a, a, a built-in system kind of like stepping into the world, like going into comedy. It's a, it's a large industry, but it's also a small world, right? You eventually start knowing people in that, in that industry. And then you grow in it. And that's kind of what an incubator and accelerator do. It kind of immerses you into that, that space of like-minded individuals who are, who are out, who have a big dream and want to bring it to fruition. It's not just working for somebody else. It's a lot of people who are self-starters. And so when I had this idea before I went back to school and knew all of these things, I just knew that I needed to be around people who were we're not just starting a business like selling uh, Amway or, you know, like you would go to all these networking things and people were like selling a lot of things and doing a lot of door to door sales and things. But where are the people who were like really wanting to start their own company on a much larger vision? Does that make sense? Makes a lot of sense. So, so that's why I ended up, I'm like, there has to be, a, where are these people? Where do I find these people? And so I started looking online and I'm like, uh, I was like, maybe I'll go back to school. Maybe that's where I find people. And that's where I found that University of California, Irvine was just, had just launched their inaugural year of their MIE program called Masters of Innovation and Entrepreneurship. And I was like, this is what I need. Like, these are, the, I looked at the curriculum, like, this is what I, this is what I want to know. And so I, I applied and I got in and then COVID happened, of course. But I think that was actually, I think COVID was 
of course I had it pros and cons. I mean, it's a terrible thing that happened, but I think as an entrepreneur, what a great, great space to plant seeds. Like what a, what a whole different world. It was bad, but it, it definitely like served a lot of people good. Yeah. So, so from there I got into this program, this, this master's program. And that's where I learned more about the value of incubators and accelerators. And I was like, Oh, why had I never heard of this before? But because nobody I knew was an entrepreneur and, and, and doing these types of things. So I think it was really valuable for me to kind of meet people doing this and really learning the lingo and the process and the 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 players and and really hearing other people's experiences and and what worked and what didn't. It, it's just fascinating. So yeah, I don't think that any one of the programs, you know, I because I, I hear people talk and it's like, oh, I need to get in this. But it's not the end all, but it's definitely a springboard. And I think it really helps propel and and put some gas in the tank, you know, and uh, I think that was very helpful. So although some of the, the classes and workshops we get are similar from incubators to accelerators and throughout, I also see that. Uh, different people presenting and teaching and then also bringing their own personal stories to that just continues to build one on top of the other. So it's like in comedy. When I studied comedy, I went to, you know, you mentioned uh, in my intro, like I went to Upright Citizens Brigade. I went to uh, the Second City. I went to Magnet Theater. I uh, went to IO Chicago, all the different theaters and they all teach improv. And what I found is I just took classes over and over and over and over again because with each different teacher, I learned something new. And with each different theater, each theater has its own personality, its own vibe, its own energy. It's the same with incubators and accelerators. They all have their own personality, their own vibe, a little bit different direction or perspective. And I think all of those things are beneficial. I don't think it's just all one, but I think continuing the growth through all of those things and then building upon it is, is for me, that's what keeps me moving forward, seeking those out. So I just want to talk about springboarding and your master's in a minute, but first I'll tell a quick story, right? So a couple years ago, I was networking, trying to network small business owners, right? So I'm in this networking event, you know, it's just for small business owners, blase, blase. What they did, like it was big, like 300 people go there and put you in groups of eight, like table eight, right? Mm-hmm. And each person like do a woman, one minute pitch, right? And so I swear, one person, um, in my small business, I am um, bringing sea salt from the, from the Red Sea to cure cancer. Another person, I read, I read your dead relative spirit, you know? <laughs> and, and, and one person that I have, like, they have magic beads. I'm like, <laughs> what world have I got myself into, right? So I never went again, right? Yeah. And like, well, of course, all the way down the small business owners, right? Yeah. And then talking about springboard, she talked about this pre-talk where like, um, so I tagged Leanna post earlier today where this lady, I guess she got laid off and she's doing comedy now for the first time. Mm-hmm. And so how that, how that came out, there's a guy, guy named Mr. Charles Ham uh, about two years ago. He started posting a lot on LinkedIn, got a lot of followers. He got a, he wrote a book, became a three-time international bestseller. He's like, I was the first podcast he was on. And then I reposted a clip he did like two months ago. A guy named Jake Nobles connected me on there, right? We became friends. He's in Houston, Texas. And this lady posts her, her stuff and then Jake posted, you know, commented, so I saw it. And now Liam might have a connection to this person. It's like, this crazy how entrepreneurs, we forget how like one tiny step might lead to something else, right? I mean, you never know. Yeah, absolutely. I think 80% of success is showing up. So 
and I and I think what you said just makes so much sense. It's kind of like uh, the fact that you tagged me. It could have easily been I. You tagged me. I saw it. And then I didn't do anything with it, you know, and same with the person before you and the person before that. It kind of all leads to something. But 80 percent of success is showing up. And that's super valuable in this whole process, because you and I were talking about sending in applications for different uh, conferences or different opportunities for fundraising and things like that. And, you know, it may be a long shot, but unless we throw our name in the hat there's no chance. Yeah, there's 0% chance you don't apply. Yeah. And mm-hmm. oftentimes the one you think, man, I'll never get that. That's the one you get accepted to. Yeah. And the one you think, oh, this is a dead, I'm, I'm no way, I, I'll definitely get in here and you don't get in that one. Yeah. Yeah. I will say during COVID, it was hard to show up to some places. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That made it a little challenging. So, Leanne, you have a master's in entrepreneurship innovation. I think some people will say, you know, like, if you want to get an education, entrepreneurship, just do entrepreneurship. Yeah. Some people say, like, a master's, like, that's wasted money, wasted time. What are you doing? Yeah. What would your reply to that be? Uh, yeah, I hear you. I I had considered the same thing, honestly. Um, and especially, so I'm over 50. And going back to school at a much later age when everybody there was at least half my age or more, you know, and I didn't even bend the curve from my cohort. I didn't even change that number, that average number. Uh, Going back though, for me was, um, I think it's one of the best decisions I've ever made. And again, it's like, what, what gives me momentum that gave me momentum right? There were times during, I was like, what am I doing? Why don't I just take this money and go invest it into my business, right? But looking back now that I'm done and I'm in it, uh, I use everything I learned every single day, all the time. So what I learned there was super valuable. Um, I was also, I also learned on a personal level, I was a much better student at a later (laughs) date and time. I mean, also, hopefully, I did, hopefully, also, anyway. also, I did my undergrad at University of Nevada, Las Vegas. So, you know, think about being in Vegas in your 20s. That's a whole thing. Um, but yeah, it was a, it's a much different experience. And oh, my God, I'm so I had considered I had started doing some graduate classes right after uh, I graduated with my bachelor's and then I ended up getting married. And it was just it was just a lot on my plate. So. I always thought, well, maybe I'll come back and revisit this. And plus, at the time when I graduated, I ended up working for a Fortune 500 uh, home builder. And it was a fabulous corporation. I ended up being there almost 13 years. And during that time, that's when I had started going back and taking some master's classes. And then, you know, and talking to my mentor at work, and he was like, you really don't need to get a master's. He goes, I suggest you just really get a well-rounded education here in the company. And so I did, and I and I spent almost 13 years there, and I worked in various departments, and it was amazing. It was one of the best, by far, the best job I ever had. Um, and I worked for wonderful people, and I there's so much I learned there that I want to implement in my own company, especially when it comes to how people treated people that I I look back and I'm like, that was, that was luck. Like, and we all think back, we're like, we got the best days out of, out of of a company. Um, It was, it was amazing. And, and I learned such valuable life lessons, but as I, as I went on to New York and did all of these other things, I always said to myself, Hey, when I turn 50, I always want to look back and go, okay, do I want to reconsider going back to school as a personal accomplishment, you know? And so that's kind of what I did. And I thought, yeah, let's, 
let's do it. And I did it. And I'm so glad it was such a different experience. And I, I'm, I feel good about it. Now, is it a one year or two year program? This was a one year program. One year program okay. Mm -hmm. So pretty fast you, paced. You could do it one year or two years. Okay. So I did the accelerated program okay. and it was like being fire hosed with, with information. But you know what? It's, um, it, it was amazing. Yeah. Now, you were just recognized, I think it's called AWS Startups, female startups, something like that. Yeah. Can you talk about that? That's, that's what recently happened, right? Yeah, it did. Um, so AWS Startups partnered with Graham & Walker, who's uh, very well known around here in Seattle uh, and has a, a venture fund. And they also, Graham & Walker started with, uh, they started out six years ago as a Facebook group. Is this something you applied for? Group. Yeah. It's okay. a, so, so basically... Graham and Walker started as a Facebook group to help female, to support female founders. And then they became the Female Founders Alliance. And they were, a, well, this is before I got to Seattle and knew about them. And they became this force that really helped support women founders. And then, so when I came out here and I was looking, how do I immerse myself into the Seattle ecosystem? I know nobody. And I just spent all this time and effort really getting immersed in California. And then we moved. So um, I sought them out and I uh, joined their Female Founders Alliance, which is an online community of, of resources. And they often hold workshops and things like that. Uh, Graham and Walker also have uh, catalyst funds and things of that nature um, that you can apply to. Let me set that down there because it's buzzing. And um, and they partnered with, so they partnered with AWS and then they had a four week fundraising lab that they put on together where they had different speakers each week come in and talk about different parts of the fundraising process. And they focus specifically on women because oftentimes we're asked different questions than male counterparts during the fundraising process. Oddly enough, who knew, right? So, um, so yeah, so that was really interesting and it was really good. And the, the, community, you know, is still connected through a Slack channel and, and things of that nature. And they've reached out and they've reached out to me to feature me along with uh, five other incredible founders. So two part question. First, how do you even find out about this? And part two, how are you going to con continue to take advantage of this great opportunity? Yeah. So I, so I find out things, I, I don't know about you, but I Google everything. Like that is, that is just like the best tool there ever was. So it's like, okay, how do I meet people in Seattle, right? Google that. How do I, uh, entrepreneurship, uh, events. And I just started doing that. And that's where I found WTIA. That's where I found New Tech Northwest, uh, Find Ventures hosts some wonderful events and has a, a, like, there's just all of these groups of people. And I started showing up and introducing myself. And what I love about Seattle is people are so friendly. <laughs> like everybody has been so nice and it's, it's really cool. And I start bumping into the same friendly faces and people at all of these different events. So, yeah. And I, and I'm excited because uh, building relationships with people at organizations like AWS and everything is just an alignment with me as a tech company. Yes. Uh, speaking of WTI, we both just finished the cohort, I think, in February, right? Can you talk about some things that you, that you got out of WTI? Oh, yeah. I got you. <laughs> of course. <laughs> right? Number one thing. We wouldn't have met. It. <laughs> well, maybe we would have met. But, yeah, um, I got to know you through WTIA. And people are always like, what is WTIA? I'm like, Washington 
Technology Industry Association. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think after going through one incubator and an accelerator already, I was, I had a better idea of what to expect in the process. And, um, what I really liked is that this was a six month program, which gave us more time because I felt in shorter programs, a lot of things came fast and furious and it was really paced out. It just, I don't know, for me, it just hit me at the right time where it was paced out in an easy bite size manner. And that, um, I really loved, I have to say going to so many workshops over the years, I really enjoyed the workshops and kind of seeing them from a different perspective as yeah. my company they're, has they're, they're very well put together. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing I, I kind of wish, like, I know we skipped December holidays. I kind of wish we wouldn't skip December because like, yeah, November didn't, didn't do anything in January. Like, like you know, you forget a lot of stuff and that, yes. and then maybe like might be too much maybe people met twice a month. Right. Yeah. Instead of like doing a once a month at four hours, maybe twice a month at two hours, you yeah. know, which they are going to now change. I think. Yeah. yeah. And then it'd be nice. You could have done like more like, happy hours and you know that kind of stuff you know i was thinking the same thing yeah and um I, happy hours but i know uh, a lot of it because of the pandemic has been taken online because people yeah. weren't just here and people yeah. are still not comfortable like, getting in person you know which yeah I mean, it's, you can't you know criticize people for that you know it is what it is right but yeah i can't i'm not one to talk it took me a while because my partner and i we, he and i both got very very ill with covid uh, not at the same time. Yeah. And so that was really hard. And plus we both have older parents and are around uh, older people who are at risk, yeah. which made it really hard. So like there was a time at uh, my previous accelerator where a lot of people went in person and I just couldn't, yeah. couldn't make that, that work in that case. And I feel bad about that, but you know, I guess as we have to make decisions about our health at, for different reasons. Exactly. So our friend Eddie, he has a thing called building public, which I think you've done a great job at. Like, so you you pitch at one million cups, you pitch at Founders Live too, right? Yes. And have you pitched at New Talk Northwest yet? Not yet. But I'm sure you will pretty soon, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, what do you get out of pitching and, and putting yourself on public like that? What's the positive for you for doing that? Which I think everyone should be doing if you're an entrepreneur. Honestly, I think it, it's really good practice and any opportunity to talk about our company is, I, I just don't see a downside to that. Um, and and the other thing is, so, okay, what I, anybody we talk to, and I think you and I talk about like, the pitch deck can be like the bane of our existence to a degree, <laughs> like if I need to make one more change, but it's a, li it's a living document, it's gonna evolve and it's changed. But I also look at that is, as a comedian, um, even acting and, and writing like my one woman show, it's no different. So my comedy set is constantly evolving. I'm always working my jokes or a set or, you know, when I did my one woman show, it started out as a 30 minute, a 30 minute show. And by the time at the next year, when I was doing my last show again, back in New York city, it was 55 minutes. It grew. And, uh, you know, I wrote more, but after every show, I would meet with my director and debrief. And then we talk about what worked, what didn't work, and then revise lines. And I'd have to rememorize my, you know, my, my show before the next night and get things up and running and working. So honestly, I don't see pitching any different than, than doing a play, than doing what my woman show, than running my jokes. It's a, it's a, it's an art. 
Pitching is an it, it art. It definitely is. It's a performance. And we have to listen to the audience feedback. And we may not like what they say all the time. And it may be frustrating at times, but it's only going to make me better. So anytime I have an opportunity to talk about about plausible and what we're doing is an opportunity to practice my storytelling and you know remembering my my numbers for different audiences and what they are and my numbers are always changing so yeah it's it's all of that and i don't think there's a downside to getting out there again 80 percent of success is showing up and you never know who's going to be there you never know you never know never i mean know. you may write me a check at the very end of this podcast i don't know yet <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to go to Irvine Tech Week. Are you going to be pitching there also, or is that something different? I am going to be sitting on a panel. So my investor, Sunstone Management, they're amazing, have invited me uh, and extended me this opportunity to talk at Irvine Tech Week with five other uh, uh, founders from their portfolio. So we'll be talking about the early stage uh, path to capital and beyond. Nice. Yes. Nice. Mm -hmm. So let's switch to comedy improv real fast. Is comedy improv two different things or they part of the same thing? So that's a great question. So, so a night at the improv, people will say, you know, you people you go there and you see stand up and everything. But if you say improv, like are you an improviser? Uh doing improvisation, that is I did years of that. That's kind of how I started. And that is where I get an audience we get an audience suggestion and then we can there's short form and there's long form. So short form is short form improv is like whose line is it anyway? Okay, the, 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 about the true character, yes. right? Yes, and we play games, right? So comedy sports and whose line is it anyway and things like uh, that. I think Boom Chicago uh, in Amsterdam is like that. And there's several others. I know there's some here, I believe in town. Um, and they do comedy games and that's short form improv. And then to do long form improv, uh, that's what I studied at uh, Upright Citizens Brigade and Magnet Theater. And that's where we get an audience suggestion. And then we do a whole scene uh, based on that. And then they'll do other scenes and there's structures to how that goes out. And they're usually like 30 minute shows, 30 minute sets based on an audience suggestion. I know like people like Joe Rogan, they should probably talk about, you know, like they do like the Netflix specials. It's not like they just walk up one day and do Netflix specials. They're like, no. they're, they're, they're coming to the crowd. Like they're probably rehearsed that joke hundreds of times. Yes. Tweaked it, took a word out, put a word in, right? And that's yes. like across all the, I want to say backwater country clubs or comedy clubs. That's where they see it, right? And then the final product where they make the millions of dollars is in that thing, right? Yes. Yeah. That, that's all like, absolutely. They work out their material and own it and polish it and this works this doesn't work get rid of this tweak this it's a it's a process it seems that the, in the inflection how you say a word might change the joke right absolutely absolutely yeah it's so for instance for me um I, so i love the whole process and it's very much like a pitch deck right since we're talking about a thing but you we get this idea right we get these ideas or maybe we have a general story about something funny that happened but telling our friends a story about something funny that happened sitting around our kitchen table is much different than someone buying a ticket and two drink minimum and ex having expectations of us um it's not the same so being funny in the sense of being able to make your friends laugh is awesome and that's definitely a start but then the actual putting a pen to paper, writing it out, and then wordsmithing it. So we write typically way different than we talk. 
I mean, oh my God, if someone actually transcribed this podcast, <laughs> I would be like, oh my gosh, so much editing to do to, for it to be readable rather than listenable. Um, but the same goes for comedy. So, so writing my ideas out and everything, then to to go to an open mic and and say the words out loud, that's where we hear, is this good? Is there something there? Is there something there? And then pulling the gold out of those thoughts of what's an actual joke, right? And then from there, okay, these are the things that are we're going to pull out that are really amazing. I'm going to set this aside because there still might be some hidden gems here. I'll come back to it and never throw anything away. Oh my God, when it comes to joke writing, keep everything. And then you pull these things out and then then I then it's wordplay. Now I'm going to sit here and I'm going to move things around. I'm going to I'm going to play with my words and order the words, the type of word, how many syllables because it's like writing a song. When we really sit back and watch a uh, a uh, stand up, like if you go back and watch any stand up comedy special and then you listen, there's a rhythm. After a while, they have a certain cadence or a rhythm to their joke telling. And some comedians, when they get to a certain point, they'll repeat something several times because they want to. It's important. They want to make sure that this, their message is getting across, and then and then they can get to the punchline. And delivering a punchline is is different for different comedians based on their style. But it's all it's all very well thought out. It's all very well practiced and rehearsed. Um, have you watched Hacks? No, I haven't. Okay, so if you haven't seen Hacks, it's a, it's a, I really enjoyed it. It's an episodic, uh, and Paul W. Downs is in it. I think Paul and Lucia wrote it. They're a great writing duo out of New York from the Magnet Theater and UCB. Um, but this this show basically highlights an older comedian who's been around for a really long time and she's has like a residency in Las Vegas and then a new comedy writer who comes about and they tell like a lot of stories and more personal uh, vulnerable stories and has a bit of a different writing style and they're back and forth. And so the comedian who's been around a lot, if they, if you watch in the montages, they'll show her, her show is exact. She'll be wearing something different, but every night she sets the water down at the same time. She moves the same way. Her head tilts the same way. So if you go see night after night, it's the same exact set because we know she knows exactly how and when a joke will hit by body movement, delivery, timing, all of those things. But it's the same as we learn with our pitch. Yes, yes. It's the same thing. And so it, it's interesting to me to watch entrepreneurs who get up and are like, I'm not sure what I'm going to say. I'm like, <laughs> oh, no, I'm, I'm going to watch this because now I'm fascinated. As a matter of fact, I'm going to videotape this. <laughs> right? Because this is just a train wreck waiting to happen. But, um, yeah. So, so when I think about pitching, I always – I spend a ton of time – really practicing what I'm going to say and making sure I'm hitting the key points and uh, timing myself, you know, and getting rid of things, words that are, that I'll trip over. Cause there are words I will trip over all of them <laughs> if I don't get them out of my way and, and really practicing those things. But I feel like every pitch contest or pitch opportunity, uh, it's, I always have to spend a lot of time preparing because it's always for a slightly different audience and they always have different requirements. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So, no, I watch the Joe Rogan podcast a lot or listen to whatever because he has a lot of comedians on there, right? Mm -hmm. And one time he had Kevin Hart was on there. Kevin Hart was telling a story where him and Chris Rock were at some comedy show, right? They're like, you know, make, you know write down what I say, you know, get, take notes for me, whatever, you know. And so they both performed, took notes, and they should probably, what up? Like, what are you doing here? 
Yeah, I've just been performing like five minutes. He performed, they took off for five minutes. Kim Art said, Him and Chris look at each other and just told the notes up. Like, this is, <laughs> well, we just said this fucking crap. Like, we got to start from kindergarten level, you know? Funny. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I think another thing too, I learned with listening to Joe Rogan and all the comedians, like, there's actually a, I mean, most, most people realize this, there's actually a comedian culture, right? Like, they're very tight knit, very like, collaborative, mm-hmm. very protective, so to speak. You know, no matter, you know, no matter if someone might bomb one night, the comedians are still there. Like, you should have oh, done yeah. this, right? So, can you talk more about that culture that y'all have as comedians? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's very much like that. Oh, gosh. Come on, plausible any night of the week to a mic. And, you know, we have, oh, my gosh. So, this is what I love about the community is we will hear each other's jokes over and over and over again. And, I have such a great appreciation for people who who are willing to put in so much work and effort. And I love seeing the comedians who come back night after night and um, and work out even the same material. But and at the same time, I love seeing people write new material and just putting it out there. And comedians, so like in in the mics on plausible. Um, I, some of these are comedians that I've known for years from New York. Some I've known for years now in LA and everywhere in between. And, and just having that bond of like, we're here sharing our jokes and things that we wrote. Um, the support that people show for one another is tremendous. And the amount of cheering each other on of, you know, what, laughing, like we, a lot of us attend the same mics together, but we'll always laugh and support out laugh out loud to give the support that the comedian needs to be like, yeah, even though we've heard it before. And, and you, you ever like, you know, after you laugh, like send us a, a, a text message, I laugh at your joke, but dude, you gotta do better than that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, people sometimes have asked me, um, like what I have this idea. It's funny. It's like, yeah, I think it's, and, and I try to be honest and, and encouraging at the same time. Um, but sometimes people don't want to be told, uh, some people just don't want feedback from some other people or they want it in a different way. Um, but I try to be honest and, and at the same time helpful. Like, I think, I think there's something here, but have you considered this or maybe just swap a word out? But I think the fact that if people are, are just putting in the effort, um, I'm there for you, but, but yeah, sometimes it, yeah, they, they give each other feedback. People ask for it. People will say, what do you think of this? Is there something there? And then a lot of times everybody will give different ideas and, and different bits and pieces for inspiration for that person to kind of go back and rewrite. Can you talk about comedic timing? Like, Is that something that comics just learn or become instinctual? Or do you just got to practice and practice before you finally learn your comedic, comedic timing? I think some people have natural timing without knowing it. Um, I think we all have the ability to do it. It's kind of, I I think this is where it's similar to music. You can, for me, I can feel it. Uh, it just feels right. And, and when I, I love listening to other people, especially newer comics and I'm like, Ooh, they have a really good joke there, but like, uh, it, maybe it's just in the timing. Maybe people are really good writers and now they just have to practice that timing and other people have natural timing, but maybe they need to work their, their, the, the timing might be off because they just need to tweak a few words. And then, then as soon as you 
make an adjust, slight adjustment with your words, boom, everything falls into place. So I think it's a combination of things. I think it can be learned, but I think people, it's kind of like dancing, right? I'm like the worst dancer. You know, and my parents sent me to, to dance lessons for like seven years of my life. And I was like, but I don't understand. I'm not a better dancer. They're like, oh, we weren't worried about you dancing. We just wanted you to stand up straight, <laughs> you know? So, but I think, you know, I think it, 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 if you want to, and you want to leave yourself open to it and take the feedback, I think it, anything can be learned. Yeah. You ever watch the show called Wilding Out with Nick Cannon? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, most of the comedians are like pretty upbeat, you know, for talking. There's a white guy on there called Jacob Williams. I just I just love his timer, right? He's kind of dry, slow, or whatever. And one time he was on there, dude, there's a, a skit called uh, Plead the Fifth. And a rapper named Remy Ma, a female rapper out of New York City, she has a song like, I run New York. So he comes up to her and says, hey, Remy Ma, uh, I heard you were in New York City, right? She, she said, yeah, I were in New York City. Well, he pulled out, out, out of his pocket all these tickets. Well, he helped me these parking tickets since you were in New York City. <laughs> and like anywhere else, you would like, it would not be fun just the way he delivered it. You know, everything else, he's just kind of dry, like, and everyone just busts out laughing, right? Yes. But, yeah. A lot of things are just the right audience, the right time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's funny. <laughs> um, can you talk about your, about your time about hosting the, the thing you did in New York City for seven years? Was that a, a, a stand-up comedy show or what was that? That was an open mic. Open so, mic. Yeah, I started – so I moved to New York in late uh, – mid – May, May, May of 2006. And I think somewhere in 2007, like six to a year in, I started running uh, an open mic at an improv theater, Magnet Theater. And it was because I was doing a lot of writing. Uh, I was doing sketch comedy writing, or I thought I was doing sketch comedy writing. I don't know how good it was at the time. I don't know how good it was at the time. But, and I had a, a writing partner that I was uh, doing some of it with, and we decided, hey, let's, let's co-host uh, an open mic. And so we decided to to do that. We went to the theater and we pitched, hey, we want to run an open mic for sketch comedy, which nobody was doing. Because in sketch comedy, again, if you're writing, you don't know if it's funny until you say it out loud in front of, you know, and, and bounce it off of people. And why wait until you put up a whole show to find out it sucks? You know, like, why don't you do it in bits and pieces? Like, Some MVP, like minimum viable product for comedy, right? Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what it was. And so... Uh, the theater said, yeah. And so we started hosting this, this mic and people were like, cool. And they, you know, but when you're sketch writing, now you got to cast it. You got to cast that sketch. And so people were writing enough stuff, but then they were like, oh my gosh, I have to find enough people who are available at that time. So, so for the first couple months, it was cool. And then then people are like, maybe I'm just going to write a monologue, a character monologue, because then I don't have to cast it. <laughs> and so a lot of people were doing character monologues and coming with that. And then some people were still writing some sketches or just two person scenes. It was really fun because we never knew what we'd get, you know. And then um, and then I remember this comedian, Bob Bell, showed up one day and I love this guy. He's in New York and he walks in and he's he's been doing comedy for years and he walks in, he's like, Hey, I heard, I heard there's like an open mic here. And I'm like, who is this guy? And he's like, I do stand up." And I was like, Oh, stand ups want to do that. I'm like, sure. Why not? And so pretty soon Bob put out the word to the standups that there was this open mic at magnet theater. So pretty soon more standups were coming. And so we had sketch and we had character monologues and we had stand up. And it just became this like weird mix. I never knew what people were going to do on stage. 
<laughs> and it was like kind of bananas sometimes. And it would just go on and, and people would, we'd put a big, I took a big post uh, flip chart paper and I'd hang it up. And as people come in, I'd put them in the running order and uh, crazy stuff happened. And, and eventually I realized how many people were coming that really wanted to work out their jokes. And I was like, this is great. Well, then the theater had some scheduling changes and I, I was like, we need to do this more often. There's just once a month, there's too many people. And so uh, we wanted to do it weekly. So I ended up moving it to this really uh, scary basement in the East side at this place called Identity Bar, this cool little bar in the East Village. And they had this basement they weren't using. And I mean, it was just your basic bar basement with chairs stacked in a back corner. It has a drain on the floor, you know, and just like things in the way that hadn't been, needed a good sweep. And so, uh, so yeah, we sat up there and people started coming downstairs in this dingy, scary, creepy basement. <laughs> it was just really dark. You had to go down these little stairs. Uh, anyway, we did that for a long time and then one, and it was weekly and then, uh, it was it was fantastic. That's where I just started hosting as a, a stand-up. Did and, anyone famous ever come out of, out of those sketches? Like, did anyone make their career as a springboard from there? Uh, I would say a lot of a lot of people who came in there. We had a lot of people. We had a lot of people. We had some people from UCB who put up their shows there, which is a great theater in New York. Um, and people went on to do fantastic things. Uh. Paul, who wrote for Hacks, him and Lucia, they've done stuff at Casual Sketch in the uh, that he used to come and try stuff out for his shows. Um, there are a lot of people. I mean, I used to keep a list of everybody who did everything. I know when I did a show, like um, a couple, the the woman who do Broad City, they they were in one of my shows that I put up. Like in New York, it's a small small world. And we all kind of bumped into each other at different times. Um, Corinne Fisher and Christina Hutchinson, who do a, a podcast, a really super popular podcast. Uh, they used to come to my mic. Dan Perlman, who has a show on Showtime. He used to come. Like, there's so many talented people in New York. And they would, you know, they didn't just go to my mic. They went to all the mics. They did all the things to to work their craft. They were the ones who were showing up to everything. They were some of the hardest working people I know. You know, there's there's so many. There's just so many. Is this where you started doing your uh, show called Lady Luck is a Whore? <laughs> is this yeah. like by same time, same team period, same time period? Yeah. So I wanted to do a, a one woman show because um, I loved I loved the writing process. And so I, I started writing my show. Um, I would like, and it's hard writing, like, like writing is like writing is a weird animal because I would fall asleep writing. It's like using a different part of your brain. Um, so I would, I would used to have to go to sit in a coffee shop. I would wake up, I would treat it just like my day job. And I would just go and I'd spend four hours between breakfast and lunch writing. And I would just go to this one coffee shop in Queens right down the street from my place where I could kind of, there's all kinds of activity and noise. I mean, it's New York and things, people are bustling, but I somehow it was like that white noise on your Google <laughs> and I could just tune everything out and just write. And I would do that. And, and so I did that. I got a director. Um, Trish Fignola was my director. She was amazing. Uh, she came from second city, Chicago. And, 
uh, she would read what I wrote. This works. This doesn't work. This isn't funny. This is funny. I love that she was so candid and honest with me. I couldn't have asked for more. And then kept writing it. Probably took me a year to write it. And then I put it up. I got a run at uh, the People's Improv Theater called The Pit. And that was when it was like a 30-minute show. I did my run there. Uh, and then rewrote, wrote more and got accepted into uh, the DC Fringe Festival and got in, accepted. It. So I did it in DC, got accepted into, gosh, this a while ago, uh, a Delaware, William, William, uh, how do you say it? Delaware. <laughs> <laughs> got into their Fringe Festival and then brought it back around for another uh, United Solo Fest in New York and performed it again. So a year, full circle, a year later, I had been doing that show. It went from 30 minutes to 55. When you were working your, your 13 years of corporate America, were you doing comedy on the side? Or like how exactly did you, get, did you get into comedy as a career? Yeah. So in my, in my job, I was always, no matter what title I held at my company, I was always uh, doing a ton of speaking for the company. I ran all of the quarterly, hosted all the quarterly meetings and put all those together and, um, and eventually was a manager of cultural development. So I did a ton of speaking in front of those people probably tired of hearing from me. Um, and so my coworker said, uh, one of them in particular, he, he sat with me and he's like, Hey, you've heard of the second city. I'm like, yeah, I grew up in Chicago. He's like, did you know they had a training center here in Vegas? And I was like, no. And it was funny. Cause I had previously just signed up and took my first comedy writing class at UNLV. And then he suggested I do the second city. And I was like, I didn't know they were out here. And, and so he's like, yeah, you should check it out. And so that same week I opened city life magazine, which is like the village voice or, you know, your regular local little, like what's happening with bands and things like that. And I flipped it open and there was an ad for a second city. And then like a third thing came up that same week for the second city. I'm like, well, clearly I'm supposed to show up at the second city and maybe sign up for a class. So I called and I got into classes and it was like instant, like, this is what I want to do. And so uh, immediately got involved with uh, the people I met in those classes. We put together, uh, we put together improv troops, and we did all the shows. We even opened for George Wallace one time, and uh, we did all these shows. We op we did a halftime show at a basketball game, and I think my friends will never forgive me for booking that. We you name it, we did it. We had a regular run at like this really popular coffee shop. <laughs> And we just performed every chance. We did it on Fremont Street. And eventually, a couple years later, I, I was laid off from my job. And uh, one of my friends that I knew from the theater was like, well, I'm moving to New York. Are you going? And I'm like, well, I'll think about it. He goes, you have one hour. And so an hour later, I said, okay, sure, I'm in. So you were the right, one of the random free performers on Fremont Street yeah, back in the day? Yeah, right. Yeah, no. And it's like really this little club that opened up before – uh, before it was the entertainment district off of the casinos. So there's this whole little district that they were trying, the city was trying to get going uh, way back then. And so this one guy, thank God for him, he let us have a show there every every week. So there was stand-up and improv, and it was just chaos. <laughs> and then uh, the craziest shows. So the weirdest things happen <laughs> at these places. It does. So, so, so wouldn't it click in your mind that, you know, this is it for me. Like I want to be a comedian or something connected with comedians. Yeah. So when I, when I got laid off and then I, I got that call of like, 
Uh, do you are you in? And you like you weren't in your twenties at the time either, right? Oh no! So it was, was like this is a pretty big deal, like a big ass. Oh yeah. Pivot, how about pivoting? That this is a hell of a pivot you're doing right yeah, here. Yeah, I was thirty six, so I was like, because because I had always said, well, I have this great home. I own a home. I was like, I have this beautiful home. I have this job I love, and then I lost my job, and my friends were like, well, you always said, I'm like, ooh, these people are calling me out, you know, and I was like. And he's like, yeah, you have one hour. Best thing, best thing he could have said. Because, well, and I see why he said it is because it was a sublet. And, like, if you don't jump on something in New York, it's gone in a minute. So I said, yeah, all right. And then we showed up and we ended up not getting the the place as our own sublet because the people who were renting it decided not to go anywhere that summer. So there were me and, like, all these st strangers. And even my friend who invited me, I didn't know all that well at the time. We only knew each other from theater. What, what part of New York City were you living in? Uh, we were up on um, 155th and St. Nick. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if you're familiar. I know, the, na I know, the, na I know the neighborhood. Okay. I see the neighborhood names. Yeah. So, so yeah, right off the D train. And, okay. and we were sleeping on floors for a summer. Our building, our ceiling caught on fire and like the electrical was bad. And it's like, so we were all sitting there one day and the, the power went out and everybody's like, did you pay the bill? <laughs> bill? And I was like, oh my God, what life am I living right now? Turns out the ceiling was on fire in the other room because the electrical was bad. And then the landlord didn't come and get take care of that. It was very, it's very interesting living in New York City. I've yeah. heard, I've heard. Yeah. That's still my bucket list that I lived there like, like maybe six months or something, right? Oh, you got it. Yeah. 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 Six six months, you'll get your, you'll, yeah. it's like dipping your toe in. But yeah, you got to ride long enough where you can just cry in the subway. <laughs> and nobody know nobody, everyone's okay with it. They're like, yeah, we understand. Yeah. I remember <laughs> I seen a meme on um, Facebook or somewhere in time. It was this lady on the uh, summer, on, on the subway, right? And the meme was, you might think you're goth, but you're not goth, but you're rather subway with your, with your raven. <laughs> They said this big ass <laughs> raven on a lap. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, there's some crazy stuff on subway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, so possible. I think you just started doing like a monthly stamp contest. Can you talk about that? Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. So we have a stand a monthly stand up comedy contest on Plausible, and anybody can sign up. Bring your best three minutes. I know three minutes isn't a lot, but five minutes is really long if you're not good. <laughs> bring your best three minutes it's fun for like a speed round two minutes is just too short but three minutes is eh, it's okay and we get a nice group of people and the audience votes and picks the winner and um yeah and the people you know the first month awesome dana friedman from new york won it awesome dana does really smart comedy i love dana's comedy and then uh last month in february amber born from uh, Philly one and yeah she had just signed up and new to plausible and she's not new to comedy she was she was good yeah so two sharpshooters what is your comedy style I don't think people realize there's all these different kind of pet pan comedy like deadpan whatever what's your comedy style self-deprecating <laughs> relationships uh, those are like topics uh, I like wordplay I love puns you know, they're kind of like dad jokes, but good pun. Like uh, double entendres. Yeah, I don't know. I have all, I I like to play around with rants. Sometimes I get some of my ideas from rants <laughs> and things that drive me bananas. When you do your, do your own comedy shows, is there any like, subjects you won't touch because they're like too, you know, too controversial or whatever? Um, or do you talk about anything? I typically, I will never do a 9-11 joke. Mm -hmm. 
uh, yeah, I, there are certain things I wouldn't I wouldn't joke about. Yeah, I think some people can pull that off stuff off. They can't. Like that one comedian, comedian from Britain. Um, I can't think of his name right. But he's like he's always dressed up nice. It, I can't think of his name. He always says like off the wall stuff. You know, like on one time he was at a, a, a Central Comedy's roast they did. He was like and Pete, and Pete Davidson was there, and he's like a guy. I can't, man, I wish I could remember his name. He said, "We're not here for the roast of Pete Davidson's father." That happened on 9-11, right? Yeah. And you, someone else would have said it, you know, but since he right. said it, the way you deliver it, and it's like, you know, like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think more and more, it's like, I try to talk about things from my own personal experience. And plus, to have the Pete Davis himself, like, man, that's a damn good joke, you know? Yeah. So, that, of course, that helps, you know? It, well, and I think that's it, though. Like, I think comedy, especially, I think what people are, are learning as people become more self-aware of what, what we're saying and what we're talking about, I think coming from a personal perspective of things of who I am, being able to make fun of myself first and foremost is really important. If I can't make fun of myself, I probably don't have the right to make fun of everybody else. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I try to kind of come from that perspective and, and um, not, I don't, I don't want to joke about stereotypes mm -hmm. You know, I don't, I don't go there. So, yeah, I try to talk about what I know in my own personal experience. I also prefer that because I guess that's what, coming from my, like, we could write the same joke if we take the same topic, mm -hmm. you know, like a general thing. If we want to, like, make jokes about coffee, mm -hmm. which is fine. I can make jokes about coffee. Um, but it's harder for people to steal Yeah, if it's my own personal experience. Um, and... I don't know. It's just what I know. So what's your take on, like, you know, it's like recently a lot of comedians are getting canceled because they're saying, like, controversial things, right? Mm -hmm. And comedians say, you know, this free speech, you know, we, we can't say what we want to say, where are we going in this country? Yeah. What's your take, take on that? Well, I think comedy, I think, first of all, people are taking comedy way too serious. Stop it. <laughs> We're comedians. And I feel that comedians are supposed to be provocative. I feel like what makes us laugh is the tension and release. There's truth in comedy. And as comedians, we, in art in general, art is supposed to make us think. It's supposed to make us feel. It's supposed to make us, uh, comedy I feel is this weird thing where we kind of push limits and take us to discomfort. You know, when we think about what we laugh at, think about, do you ever laugh when, when someone falls? And every every can't, time you can't uh, stop laughing, right? It's especially, not, especially if you know them, right? Exactly, right? So, that is an example. We laugh when someone falls, or you know, when my parents like sometimes when when one is sick, what well, we end up laughing so hard, like the nurse had to come in and tell us to stop. They were worried we we're gonna hurt my dad because we were laughing so hard, we were all crying, but because, for example, we were all in, in a hospital room, and <laughs> my dad had just come out of surgery. And that's real stressful. It's really super stressful. And my mom, you know, she's buzzing around like my mom trying to make sure everything's just fine and he's okay. And she turns around and like smacks right into the TV arm that's sticking out of the hospital wall. Like she she ran into that hard. I think she saw stars. Like she bounced off that thing. And my dad and I looked at each other and we just immediately started laughing. And and my husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, he's like, stop it. Your dad's stitches are going to come out. Like, stop but my, and the more they tried to make us stop, the harder we laughed. And then until the nurse came in and yelled at us, like, knock it off. <laughs> and, but we couldn't stop laughing. But I feel like my point is, is that sometimes it's the most traumatic things 
are the most uncomfortable things that we need relief in. And we need that. We need that release. We need relief. Laughing is just as healthy as crying. And sometimes it's, it's, it's the laugh that's what comes out. And that's a healthy coping mechanism. It's so much healthier than a slap as a response to a joke. And and maybe some might might say that's in bad taste. I say it's it's in good taste. Like it's how what we do with that information. Sometimes just laughing at the the like the outrageousness of something has to be laughed at. Because what else do we do with that? Anger only takes us so far. And, and so I think that, that there is a free speech. People should be able to laugh and joke about things. It should make you feel. And if you go to a comedy show and expect to like be soothing, like get a call map if that's what you're seeking out. Don't go to a comedy show. And, and it, 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 you're gonna, we're not going to always agree with a point of view. That's impossible. The world is not all going to hold the same point of view. And I think comedians are there for, for, for a release. And that's what it has to be. We have to be able to laugh at ourselves. And if you can't laugh at yourself and take ourselves so seriously, don't go to, don't go to a comedy club. So talk about your parents. Can you talk through the conversation you have with them? You told them as a 36 year old female, you're dropping everything in New York City to fall out to do a comedy career. Like, can you talk about that conversation if you can? Yeah, I told him I was going away for three months. Because <laughs> even at 36, you know, I couldn't tell. I, they thought I was crazy. Yeah. I, I, I mean, they supported me. They didn't understand it because that's not what they would do. You know, my parents are much older. So, um, you know, they grew up. You get one job. You stay with that job for an entire career you know, you get a pension and you retire. Well, they don't understand the way things work today aren't, aren't, aren't that way, unfortunately. And yeah, days ago, what's a long gone? Yeah, you know, pension, what's that? <laughs> you know, most people don't even know what that means. So, so yeah, I mean. I mean, we're gonna be lucky if we have social security. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, I think it was probably hard for them, but okay. you know, I did it. They eventually come come out to New York to visit with me. And where do they, where do they live at? Uh, they were living, they actually came out to Vegas uh, about four years after I did, a couple okay. years after I did, and they retired out there. And then now they're in, now they're in Illinois. They're back, okay. they're back in Illinois with my brothers. Okay. Yeah. So next question is like, you know, how are we your faces, right? So, you know, you have all these famous communities, like Dave Chappelle, George Carlin in the past. If you say these names, like people know who they are, they're famous, they make a lot of money. Who's a community like below the level, right? Who's not as famous? Like, it's like, if you said the name, everyone know who they are, right? Like, where the kids would be, but they're not, like, famous, famous yet. Who's a comedian you think that's, like, not famous, famous yet, but it's just right there in the cuss of, like, getting the next Netflix special, like, really, like, breaking out? Like, everyone knows who he is. You say his name, but he's not on that level yet. Or he oh. or she. Oh, putting me on the spot. Uh, that's a great question. I feel like there's a lot of people that I've met at some point or another that have already like been in TV shows and and writing shows and doing those things. Yeah, but they're not like the Dave Chappelle, Kevin Hart, you know, Eddie Murphy level yet. Like me, my, mm-hmm. if, you, if you ask me that question, my answer would be the community earthquake. Okay. I'm a, I'm a big fan of earthquake. Okay. Um, I don't know. I, that's a great question. I haven't thought of it that way. 
I will say I love watching people. I I love watching people. The like if they there's they're like I'm thinking of someone who came to my mic in New York, and it was the first time I think he had done stand up, and he became a regular at my mic there, and I loved watching him over time evolve as a comedian and like. And, you know, and now people follow him and they and people love him. And I love that. And I see I still follow him on on social media and everything. And he's like does the different clubs in New York. And uh, I I don't know. I don't know what's to come of of him. But I think I think he's hilarious. And I think I don't know. I just that's a really tough question. Even now, I see people who started um, um, on my MVP of plausible and have continued on and I see what they're doing now. Now, like I'm thinking of one person in particular and he's, he's hosting his own mics and he uh, just went to his first in-person mics and doing all of the things. And he's hilarious. Um, You know, and he comes from the film and TV or he comes from the TV background and has done a lot of TV, but now he's doing stand up. There's just, there's so, and then I remember another person that came to my mic in the, past couple of years, my MVP and it's continued on and it's now on plausible. And I think she had just started also, and she's fantastic and gets booked regularly and does stuff. And so I think it's not just one. I see a, a lot of people on that path. It's just a matter of time. Yeah. Okay. So next question. There's a lot of great comedians out there, right? Mm-hmm. You know, some were pretty well known, some not well known, all of them not got out pretty good. If you only could see one comedian for the rest of your life, who would it be? Ooh. Hmm. That's hard. Oh. I don't I don't know. I think you've stumped me on that. There's a lot of people. I don't know. Maybe I maybe it'd be best. I'd have to go with like I like a surprise. Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, and if I didn't like that person, then I just have to (laughs) (laughs) laugh anyway. (laughs) No, laugh anyway. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think there's so many there's so many people and so many different reasons I like various comedians. So, as an entrepreneur, how do you make sure you take care of yourself, both mentally and physically, and all that kind of stuff? Well, that is an excellent. Of course, step one, drink wine. Every Question. Day. Yes, yes, yes. Actually, yeah, that, 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 yeah, I have to be, no. Uh, I can't do that. That would, I'm, I'm, at my age, I can't. I'm not that person anymore. That, that makes it hard. Seems like a good idea at the moment, though. Um, that is something I think I am always trying to figure out because um, there's this thing that right now at an early stage, I'm wearing all of the hats. So if I take that hat off and I go outside for a walk, you know, who's going to keep that plate spinning? So, so that, that's been, that's been a struggle. Honestly, I used to have a routine where I'd wake up first thing in the morning and I would take care of myself where it's like, I would, and I think that's the best way. And that's what I'm actually, my goal is in the next three 90 days is to have that routine back. Cause especially during the pandemic, not going out not having my regular gym membership. Uh, I stopped doing those things. Going to full-time to school. <laughs> there was, there, I, like, there was no way that the stuff. I, before I started school, I was training for a half marathon and I was at the gym all the time. And then school happened, COVID happened. 
life happened, entrepreneurship, all of those things, and somewhere self-care disappeared. <laughs> and I had never thought I would be that person where self-care disappeared. And so now I'm realizing like, wow, that, how, how, woo, took that for granted, you know, but just getting uh, up at the same time for me, what's really important is getting routine. So getting up at a specific time every single day. And once I have that nailed down, that's when it makes it a no brainer to, to get up and then go, go move, whether it's a, a bike ride. So my husband and I, we set up our bikes and stationary bikes, uh, which is like the easiest thing right now. So we do that or, um, I use an app for a workout, which is really easy. Okay. So, but that, that's so important and it seems like the easiest thing to do, but somehow it has turned into the most challenging thing. Yeah. I'm the same way. Like I'll, I'll do good for a couple of weeks and nothing for a mm -hmm. month. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's hard. Yeah. Especially like you go to a networking event, like you wake up early, you go to the gym, whatever, say whatever, we're early. Then you go to a networking event that night and get home like nine, ten o'clock. Like yeah. I can't operate like four hours sleep or five and hours sleep. Networking events. I yeah. love them. And it's so kind that they put out food. Stop with the pizza. Because <laughs> <laughs> I cannot say no. Stop with the pizza. Uh, but uh but yeah, the, the the if I can do it in the first thing in the morning, then it makes it a no-brainer. But I have to think about it all day. It just gets shoved to the bottom of the list. Yeah. So how do you deal with this, right? Of course we have all these hats on, right? Sales, marketing, product, blog going on. Mm -hmm. And like you're like you're talking to some a marketing person. You should only focus on marketing. That's no more thing. Here comes a salesperson. You can't survive yourself. Then a product person says, you know, only product. Like how do you like? To me, it's frustrating, right? Like you say you're in a startup world. If, even though you do marketing, you should know how you do everything else, right? I have to be right. So why are you only focus on one thing, right? So how do you like take all these very important views and keep everything balanced? So you gotta have to come how keep everything LinkedIn or synced, right? Yeah. So. You mean feedback from everybody else on yeah. what to do? Yeah. Everybody wants to give us advice, right? Isn't it funny? So there's ask somebody for help. They'll tell you what to do, but they won't. Anytime I ask for help, I get 10 more tasks that I, yeah. that I need to do, but it's never, <laughs> never and, somehow and, and, delegated. To and what kills else. me, like there's been time, like I, I've tried to pay someone to do something for me, right? Yeah. Like one time I was going to pay someone like do my social media for me. I post my social media. Yeah. This joker told me how to post it, what I need to do. Okay. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me right now? Can we talk about that for a minute? Yeah. That is the thing. I've noticed that people want to, that's, let's circle back to the coach thing. They're not a social media person. They're a social media coach. And they want to teach me how to do it. I already know how to do it. Yes, I've been doing it. I've been doing it. I know how to do it. Uh, I was a director of marketing for a company for five years. I get it. I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. I'm paying you to do it for would, me. That's, right. a, that's a coach. That's a chief how to do it. Right. Yeah. That, that happens all the time, right? It's so funny. And I find that with a lot of people. And yeah, it's like the, if, if upon meeting you, I suddenly walk away with 10 more things to do, I'm probably not going to hire you. Yeah. So I'm paying you to give me, for you to give me tasks. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Where, no. What world does this work at? No. So I think... Um, this is kind of how I'm learning to prioritize these things is I go back again. This is what I learned as a coach and by being coached by amazing people is what is good. What is the result I'm looking for? I want people to convert. I want people to sign up. So uh, organizing my files does not ever result in people signing up for my my thing, although that's an important thing that I need to have done because, you know, you have to have your data room, you have to have all these things in, in paper. But 
if if I think about it and and start my day, it's like, what is the most important thing? Then I need to focus on my customers, whether it's um, posting and promoting them, uh, having conversations with them, or answering a service call. Those things are most important, and those are the things that I think have to get handled before anything else. Because without my customers, where am I? Um, so I also think about in terms of like. Uh, as, as my team and I were talking about uh, what are we building next? What features are we going to be rolling out? And we had a list of things, right? We, you know, like if you come in my office and you look at the wall, the wall is covered from top to bottom uh, of the map, you know, of all the things that that we want to, that are important, that need to be done in, in this platform. But what comes next is that's when I sit down and I call my customers one by one and ask them, if you had these options in front of you, what's most important? Can you rank these for me? And they tell me. And after I talk to X number of people that are using my platform, or even the people who came once and never came back, or people who haven't, I get the feedback. Everything we want to know is from the end user. And that helps me prioritize things. What's most important to them? That makes a lot of sense. And so you're, you're, you're what we consider a non-tech founder, correct? Yeah. So talk about your process of learning what a product roadmap is and how to use a product roadmap to make your company better. What's a product roadmap? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so first, so I, I guess like uh, begin with the end in mind, right? So what I did is I kind of drew up a mock-up of, of what I wanted plausible to be. And then when I brought on my first tech uh, person, um, Kumar, then we met and I said, this is, this is the vision. How do we get there, right? And then from a technical angle, he could tell me what, what we need to build first, you know, and then go back and forth as he learned more about the user, then we could better determine that. But like, okay, I come from the whole home building industry. That's where I started, right? It's like, I can't, I know I want a house, but I can't put in electrical if I don't have walls. I can't put up walls if I don't have a solid foundation. So tech is no different. I have to build a solid foundation at minimum. Like I have to have these things there in order to get to this. And I have to have these things there to get to this. You know, I can throw a tire out in the street, but that does not make a car. You know, I need a few other things first before I can, you know, safely enter a road with that. So... So yeah, it's it's kind of like, what do we need to have to to build a solid foundation and at minimum get things going, and then from here, what's the next feature that makes most sense that's going to keep it going, and maybe even accelerate it, and then from there build on that. So that's kind of how how I've worked it by talking to the customer and by listening to my team. Like, you know, now I go to Austin, and he's amazing. He heads up everything tech and he talks to our, we have a wonderful team of developers and, um, through, you know, through him, like he, he is able to see and understand the vision and listen also to, to our users and inter, you know, like then translate that into a whole, here's, here's technically how these things have to happen because, you know, I'll, I'll jump, uh, I probably drive him crazy, but I'll be like, okay, and then we need this. And then he'll be like, yeah, but we can't just go do that now. I'm like, no, no, I don't, I know. But I just want to make sure that, you know, at somewhere down the line, 
we need room for this. Otherwise, you know, it's like if you're building a, a two-seater car, yet I'm planning for a 13-child yeah. family, then you're like, why didn't you tell me that? So I try to keep them like big vision, but like, okay, so now that you know that, throw that away. And <laughs> how do we build what we need in order to get there? Yeah. So uh, you mentioned your age earlier. I think that's stereotype of not start off around with young, mm-hmm. out of college, you know. Can you talk about the the advantages and challenges of being like a non-stereotypical founder? Yeah. Um, that's also a really great question. I don't know. You've probably run into this quite a bit. Because you've, you've, you're, you know. Yeah. You've, you've had a whole career also. Yeah. I, like I tell people like, you know, I have so much focus now, right? Like people like you retire from the military, just go send a rocket jet. Like I can't do it. Like I go back yeah. crazy, right? I, I have so much driver focus now. Like I'm, I always have ideas, want to do stuff, you know. But like a lot of young people, when I was young, I was like, man, I'm gonna chill out later on, you know, whatever the case may be. But it's times change, right? Yeah, I think so. That's I think this is such a great question. There's so many. There's not one answer for me. Living in New York City, New York, where I was in theater and comedy and there's people of all ages doing all the things all the time. Like, I don't think anybody moves to New York like, oh, this is relaxing. Like, (laughs) you know, everybody there goes there for on a mission to do something. And I think that's so energizing and that's what brings that whole vibe to the city. But as um I feel like at this age, like going back to school, I know it was, I think that was a bigger challenge than anything else in school itself was the fact that I was so much older and I had such a different perspective on things. And I took it, it, it took school to heart so much more than I would have at their age. So I, no fault to them, but I'm like, what are these people doing? Like, <laughs> why are you not paying attention? Um, so the other members of your team, like how, how many other members are in your team? So there's two of us here in Seattle. So um, Austin, who's uh, my lead engineer and eventually my CTO. I, I mean, he's amazing. And uh, um, we have a team that's offshore mm-hmm. that's phenomenal. And so that can range anywhere from like five to seven, depending okay. on the where we are in development. And what, what's your like your number one challenge with Paulsbo right now? My number one challenge. So I'm currently fundraising, and I think because that would help me move so much faster, you know, um, th- th- without a doubt, that would make that would just make us move so much faster without having to be so so entirely scrappy. Um, I mean, not that we'd be like, hey, we're going to no boot and I for a team meeting. You know, it's not like that. Uh, although that would be nice. No, maybe a T-shirt. Um, but yeah, I think that would just be, I think that to me, that's always on front of mind because I want to be able to pay my people. Yeah. You know, I'm responsible for people besides myself. Um, that that That's really important as I want to be able to take care of my people and I want to, um, you know, get us to a place where we're we're bringing in revenue and we're self-sustaining in that in that sense so are you actively fundraising right now or are you, are you getting ready to fundraise no i'm actively right now so what are, are like with the you know the second valley bank failing here and all these you know so-called vcs experts on twitter like giving advice like 
won't invest a put out, you know, like, hate to be the one to tell you, but where the economy is now, banks failing, like, you're going to need, if you're a pre, even your pre seed, you need A-round metrics, right? Other investors say, just keep on doing what you're doing, right? Like, what are you, what are you hearing out there? Um, I hear all those, all those things. Uh, and, but what I see is what's in front of me. And so, although hearing that information is, it's noise, you know, I, at some point I have to I mean, tune if you, had, if you have to fundraise right now, you got to fundraise, fundraise right now, right? And that's what I'm doing. Yeah. I think, you know, and I have, you know, okay. If, if not now, then plan B, I mean, I'm constantly developing, devising plans. Like, if and, I think that's like, not that, but I realize like, you have people working for you for a quote unquote free, they only work for free for, for a certain amount of time, right? Exactly. Because maybe six months might be, maybe a year might be the limit. But yeah. if you're lucky a year, nothing over a year probably, right? Because right. they got things they got to do, right? Absolutely. And so it's like, I want to, I want to, I want my team to feel at ease. Um, I don't want them to feel stressed. They all have families. But also, I think, I don't, you know, once you get this momentum, going back to that whole topic, I don't want to lose it. Mm-hmm. And we're we're moving along. We're releasing new features. We're doing, uh, we're onboarding new new people every day. And I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to pause that, mm-hmm. you know? So then it's like just restarting and restop, yeah. stopping and restarting. I want to keep it moving. I want it to be, you know, uh, a nice, we're on a nice trajectory and I'd like to keep that going. I think that's really important. And I want my, I want to be able to take better care of my customers, you know, moving forward, giving them more of the tools that they need to continue their success on here. So that's, that's what I'm doing. I'm going along as if, and I'm looking for the people who are ready to go along this ride with us. So So have you dealt with this, right? Cause like, pose, like you, you you pose you on a certain amount of money, right? Mm -hmm. You know, some people say, you know, well, that's not enough. Some people say that's too much. And then, you know, the people say you're not you'd be able to raise that much. The stats out there show you that the more money you raise this time, it, it like almost quadruples your chance of raising money next time. So, example, if one person raises one million, other person raises 500,000, the person raises a million is going to have a better chance of raising money the next time for some reason, right? So, why even be realistic, right? If the stats show get more money, right? Yeah. How, well, do you, how do you approach from that? So, I'm constantly. Uh, I regularly update my numbers. Yeah, you know? that should drive me absolutely crazy. <laughs> that should change it every day, right? I, I need I need this person now. No, I can do it without it. I need a salesperson. I, no, I can do it for a while. Or like, I want to pay this person this amount of money. Well, no. Yeah, I what I what I end up doing is I update with my actuals. See, you know, was I on target or you know how was my forecasting? So I feel like, and as I go along, the better our forecasting gets. Right, the more you know. The less you know, but but the forecasting gets better. Um, and then I'm updating it in ways of like, okay, now that we know, uh, are we going to have to pivot anywhere? Are we going to have to, you know, who knew that when I when I hired a team uh, indirectly that I, I like working with them. Like I, it's a long term it's a long term thing. Let's keep going. If it's working well, let's keep going, and then I can make adjustments in other areas. Um, and then bringing people on here in Seattle, I, I love having the the object the opportunity for in person meetings and brainstorming and uh, relationship building and that kind of thing. But I think overall, like. I am constantly looking at my numbers in the sense of how much runway do I have left? Um, how can I get really creative? What am I What am I not thinking of that I could be doing? Right? Um, you know, these are the things that keep me away at 
wake at night of like, what if I don't do it like everybody else is doing it? That's the other thing. I, I've heard someone say, don't do anything that other people aren't doing that stands out as odd or different. And then I'm like, but why not? But why not? Yeah. Why, why can't not? I? Because you're uncomfortable. Yeah. Then maybe you're not my person, you know, but I kind of feel like I have to do things. I have to get this is. Entrepreneurship is art. Half yeah, of this is no art. There's no right way to do it. Like there's no one path. So, um, yeah. So I'm constantly thinking of like, what's another way I could do it? Or how could we do it better and faster without compromising the value or the yes. quality? So, so yeah. And you're, a, you're a solo founder, correct? Yeah. So I'm sure you've heard some people say, we're never invest a solo founder. You didn't find a co-founder, all that kind of stuff, you know. What, what, what do you tell those people? I'm nervous about you thinking you're nervous about me. No. <laughs> I mean, it is, I it is, right? I can't. I can't. I'm sorry. You, you I'm know. not going to get some random dude off the street to be my co-founder. Oh, gosh, no. Well, that's just it, right? What? But, well, here, okay, going back to the age thing. I think I've experienced that I don't know. People don't ask me my age right off the bat. Maybe some people, depending on the day, they think I'm older. <laughs> depending on the day, maybe they think I'm slightly younger. But I think people are so used to having younger founders in general that they make certain assumptions. That, that I understand. Like if you're a 20 year kid, I call it. You're the solo founder. You know, unless your last name is Musk or Zuckerberg, you know, something like that. You know. Yeah, but I. But I. That's a good point. Yeah, I think people. You know, sometimes I I hear comments like, "Oh, well, maybe you just brought your friends on or something," and I'm like. Well, that's an, that's interesting. No, there's a lot of friends that I have that yeah they have, I, they I, would they would be like I no, have a lot man. of friends I drink a beer with any day of the week but, but not, do business hell no, no. <laughs> hell no 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 and I think yeah no and it's and the funny thing is is like in school uh you know the first thing like everybody get your C suite filled but in life it's like that's the last thing i'm going to fill yeah. i need workers yeah. i need people who do stuff <laughs> you know so exactly exactly need, yeah that's a good point i talk about that the solo founder thing comes from people being so young yeah that's a great point you know i mean if 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 people have never had a job before mm -hmm. you know because I've experienced that, like even in school, people were very young and some people had never worked for a company before. Yeah. And that just blew my mind. I'm like, if you never worked for anybody before, how could anybody work for you? Like, how do you, Yeah. I don't know. How does that work? You know? Good point. All right. So next, um, I'm going to turn over to Leanne and she's going to do a demo oh, no. of her thing. Hopefully this works. Yes. Right. <laughs> okay. Kind of put the oh yeah okay so when you log i gotta put my glasses on so okay. you can at least i'll look smart um so when you log into plausible and i'm asking some questions along the way too okay good to so when you go to plausible.com you either create an account or you sign in so i've already signed in as a fan so you can sign in as a comedian or a comedy fan. And when you sign in as a comedy fan, you automatically, uh, once you set up your little profile, you come here and you can see comedians. And if you don't already follow comedians, it'll give you a list and you can- And these comedians, they like any order, like alphabetical or by comedic style or anything like that, or just oh, random? Great question. If you go here to all comedians, you can sort them. You can sort. Remember when you were asking me- Are those all different comedy styles? That's crazy. Yes. You, I, I would like, never guess that there's that many. 
Yeah, I, there's probably I, more. I would have been like, less. I like, you know, Kevin Hart. I like Earthquake. I like George Carlin, you know. Who, right. who, who, who quick meetings are like that? Well, and you could you could search by a name if you knew somebody's name. You can go over here and you can sort by the most popular to the least popular, vice versa. And this is like, it's still like a pretty user-friendly. Mm -hmm. And you can sort from al alphabetical order, right? So we have quite a few comedians on here. Some people haven't completed their... Uh, uh, what do you call it? Their profile, and because some people can sign in uh, automatically with their Google, Twitter, or Facebook account, just to make the sign-in process easier. And you personally know all these comedians? I do. I'm getting to know them now. Okay. When it started, I knew most most of them, but now it's just growing. So we have people from from the U.S. We have people from Canada. We have people from someone from Italy. We have yeah. That's my friend right there, Christina Brennan. Yes, right here. So, so let's say let's go to. Let's see, let's go to. Okay, well, let's go to. So let's go to your friend first, right? Let's go to Brandon. So if you pop up, you can see uh, really quick how long she's been doing comedy. Pretty right? new. Yep. Uh, any training she's had other than the ones that were listed in our drop down. So she puts the topics, things that she does, her bio, right? And then she hasn't done any shows on here, so she's fairly new. But if you go to this page, if you click on this hot link here, every comedian has their own profile page, so you can see more of her bio and you can see how many fans she has. But let's go, uh, let's go here. I'll use me as an example. Whoops, that's not my name. <laughs> Typing. New skill. There I am. So if you go here, you can see mine. Like I've done 77 live shows on here. Clearly. And, I've been and, busy. And, the, and the live shows could be anywhere from one minute to an hour. Yeah. Yep. And they could be longer than an hour. So you can see I've been doing comedy for a minute. You can see my IMDB page, uh, my bio. You can look at all my fans, right? And you can see fans here. Those are real people. You can see all my upcoming shows. So you can look and see, uh, you can, I can share this link to Twitter, to Facebook. You can read what this is about. You can register for the show. And all these details, all these features, like share to Facebook, share to Twitter, these things that you come up with yourself or like your, your designer or, or developer recommend them to you. How do those come about? Or, or talking to customers? Talking to customers. Okay. Like what's an easy way to tell people I'm performing and just share a link so that it's easier for people, lower friction for people to get there. Okay. So yeah, it's watching use cases, listening to our customers, what makes most sense for people. Um, so yeah, you can go through and look at all the different comedians, see a little bit about them. Oh, that was the other thing. Uh, let me go back to, let me go to Matt. Matt has a bunch of reviews. So here's Matt. Matt did our very, very first show on here. And then when we look at his page, you can see fan feedback. So you can oh, wow. see okay. his star rating. You can see all of the the feedback people left there. So it's kind of like a Yelp review. And so can he like reply to the feedback people give him? No. Okay. So that so he like you get someone like he got a one star feedback. He like can go f you bought guy like right? you don't yeah. know comedian comedy is so, right so eventually comedians will be able to rate fans so think of uber okay. with the driver passenger okay. but right now we're focused a lot on the 
comedian, some of the other features first because they rated that as like not as important as some of these okay. other things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then when you go back to the dashboard, so this will tell you there's a little how-to video, like 30 seconds in case you don't know how to register for a show, but you can scroll down and you'll see who's trending. You can see who's new. So it will go, like Chris just signed up. He actually did his first show the other night. Um, hilarious, by the way. So random quest real fast. Yeah. All these shows are being done, like, are they being stored in some kind of database somewhere in the cloud somewhere? Or what's they do with the crowd? Like, they disappear after a few days. They disappear. So they're right now, they're only live. So okay. if you're not there, there's no recording. But um, in this particular phase of development, and we're in now, we're adding the ability to record and save your shows. So they'll okay. be in a library on this That'd platform. Be really cool, I think. Yeah. yeah. So that is coming. Um, it's just, Again, well, rated. it's good if it shows good. Yeah, it'd be bad if it sucks. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you so, bomb and it's out, it's out there forever. <laughs> right. So let's say you wanted to go see uh, Anne's Sunday pop up mic. So Anne actually is. Uh, she's just been written up as one of the top twenty three comedians to watch in New York, up and coming. So going back to your question about that, she's very funny, uh, very uh, dark humor. I love it. She's she's hilarious. So let's say you want even even her look face looks like you know has a look like you right know. yeah she's great so she she has her pop up mic tomorrow afternoon and you can register so you would click register right and then you go up here and it's in your registered shows now tomorrow like an hour up to an hour or so before all of a sudden a join now button will show up mm -hmm. 15 minutes before like somewhere in the 15 minute mark before your show starts that you registered for you also get an email reminder okay. with a link so you can go right to the show and you can only see this on your platform like you, you can go to youtube or twitch or anything it's only on your platform right, right now yep okay. yep i'm guessing the plan is later on like maybe like do it somewhere else? Uh, well, it will always be unplausible, mm -hmm. but there may be other ways to also to expand that okay. reach. But it will always be because now you can now you have the the comedians. Um, you have everything you need to rate and review them. Mm -hmm. But once you leave the platform, you can't yeah. leave them the feedback they yeah. know. So the whole problem we're solving for comedians is we need real time feedback, mm -hmm. and if I'm just posting videos on YouTube, yeah. That's passive feedback. That's like later. That's not in real time. And we thrive on real time. And so although people can take it online on Zoom, Zoom has is is great. It got us through the pandemic and I'm not gonna But it has knock lots it. of limitations. It has limitations. It's it's not designed specifically for entertainment. And we need audio without delay. So the first people think people notice is when they watch a show on plausible is we can all talk, uh -huh. but there's no audio cutout or no audio delay. So when an audience laughs at the comedian, the comedian feels like it's happening in real time. Yeah. It, they feel the real time. And that's what's so, so rewarding. And also our layout of the screen. So once you join the screen, we're all familiar at this point with Zoom and video conferencing, but on our platform with its streaming, the comedian will always be dominant on the screen and the top left corner and everybody else uh, is smaller, but you can, you don't have to click through to another screen to see okay. the rest of the audience. You can scroll, okay. but the, but the comedian will always stay anchored. So it's just an easier way to view. And so when people come on, like what our feedback is from fans is like, wow, this does not feel like work. Mm -hmm. This has a total different vibe to it.
And so plausible, you're solving a problem for the comedians or the fans or a combination of both? There's a combination of both. Okay. So initially, the start is, how do I solve this problem for comedians? Right. How do I, it was, how do I solve this problem for Leanne? <laughs> Cause I was having some problems when I moved from the East coast and I moved to LA, I suddenly found myself spending more time in traffic than I did on the stage. And I'm like, well, I can't replace in person. I'm always going to have to do in person. That's part of being a performer. But what if I bridge that gap and there is a way to do more and hone my skills and get the feedback I need? Cause feedback is key. I can't be funny without hearing if people are laughing or not. So, and, and seeing responses, not everybody laughs out loud. So having the ability to see people is also extremely important. Mm -hmm. And, and that makes all the difference in the world. So I was like, okay. And I took it online before COVID. And that's when I created a cobbled together MVP and I started experimenting and I invited comedians from the East coast and the West coast. And people were like, Whoa, this is this is a great idea. And other people were like, why would I do that? And then yeah. COVID happened. Oh, now I know why. Now I know why. And um, I kept doing it and kind of experimenting with different different things uh, throughout that time. And, that, and I was like, I got to go back to school and figure out how I actually scale this. Because although existing technologies can help... They also create other problems. And so that's the other things we're missing. Like people would be like, well, how do I find comedians right now? How do you find a comedian? You have to do a Google search and you can sift through a lot of stuff. Whereas this way you actually have like a directory and you can sort by genre. You can do all these other things. So random question I do with this. As a comedian, what's worse? Have complete silence after your joke or to get booed after your joke? Oh, that's a good question. Um, like indifference or active, like hate or your joke, I guess. I guess. Hmm. I I don't know. I wouldn't want to be booed. I, don't but I, have complete, I mean, I've had but I have, groans, but I have complete but, silence yeah. though. Like nothing. Like that. You, you oh, no. I, that doesn't phase me anymore. No, no okay. because uh, no. Okay. I can I can do. I mean, I've done shows in the rain where half the people who were supposed to perform didn't show up, but only my one friend Roland and I, we showed up. Like we we immediately became such good friends after that experience. And it was outdoors, the microphone didn't work. People were like yelling, I can't hear you. And it started raining. It was amazing. Yeah, there's so many things. Yeah, those things don't phase me anymore. Okay. Just uh, uh, my worst day on stage is better than a day without a stage. Yeah, they say about golf all the time too. Yeah. Like the worst day on a golf course is better than the best day anywhere else, you know? Yeah. But you can use that any, anywhere, probably. Mm -hmm. So what are some other things you want to show us? Or like, like, like who like how, obviously you're not a nonprofit. So no. how do you plan on monetizing this? Like, are your fans going to pay? Comedians going to pay? Like advertising? Like, what's the plan for that? Yeah. So I think there should, there's, well, I know there will always be a free version. Mm -hmm. um, there should always be an opportunity for people to perform and try out their jokes. And there should always be especially in today's world, an opportunity for people to laugh at no mm -hmm. cost. Um, but uh, rolling out uh, soon will be a feature of pay-per-view mm -hmm. so that comedians um, can, if they want to produce a show and they want to charge a ticket price, they can do so and people have the opportunity to pay that ticket price online. So basically they have to build up a community on the platform. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. But the great thing is, is if you build up if you bring your community to the platform and this person brings their community to the platform and this person brings that community to the platform, pretty soon it's everybody's community and there's more people that can share in that. 
and people who might be a fan of Jason uh, can come on and be like, oh, but I also like Leanne. And then Leanne's like, yay, thanks, Jay. You know, like these yeah. are people who may never have found me before. Yeah. And it can build and build and build and, and Plausible can become the go-to place for comedy. Yes, yes. So I know like, I, I could be wrong, but I think LA, New York City are like, like comedy hubs, right? Yeah. And Austin, Joe Rogan's trying to make Austin a comedy hub. What other oh, some big comedy hubs? Chicago. Chicago, yeah, Chicago. Chicago's I always forget of Chicago, right? Yeah. Chicago. So those, those are the big ones mm -hmm. that, like, if you can be, like, what they say, if you want to be an actor, actress, go to LA. If you want to do something, go to New York City. So, so you want to be a comedian, LA, New York City, Chicago. Yeah. Okay. Those are, those are three really big ones. Um, there's a nice uh, community in Vegas. I know there's uh, one in Houston. I know there's, uh, let's see, I was just, I'm trying to think of the, you know, they're kind of all over as I'm thinking of the different people that I'm talking to, uh, especially through Plausible and then, you know, people I've known forever. I think there's one in Hawaii um, yeah. that, yeah. In fact, Erica right here, uh, she heads that up. So there, I'm just looking at everybody here that there's so many different, it's, if you look, you will find it. Okay. In most most, cities. I know that I know they have a few like popular comedy clubs in Seattle. Like yes, I know there was one Pioneer Square is supposed to be pretty good. Um, have you found it easier, harder to convince comedians to come on now versus the beginning of Plausible? I think it's much easier now than it was before COVID. Uh, definitely, because people already know now what it is to do comedy online. I think the interesting thing uh, now, so there's a whole group of comedians that love doing things online in addition to doing things in person. And a lot of people who had left comedy combat have found their way back to comedy because of online um, during COVID, which is interesting. So yeah, it's it's there are people who will only do in person and there are people now who will only do online. Do you so. think comedy changes from generation to generation or is like a laugh in 2023, same as a laugh in 1937. No. <laughs> no. I haven't laughed. So, so I think the world has changed. Um, society has changed about what's funny and what's not funny and things that may have we all may have laughed at 20 years ago um, would not be laughed at today. I think I think comedy in a weird way has evolved, but in an, another weird way maybe hasn't. I think it will always have the part that that I think will always remain the same is it will always be provocative. Yeah, it should be. Hopefully, it should it, be. It is. Yeah, it should be edgy. Mm -hmm. it should make us uncomfortable. Um, it should make us comfortable. Yeah, it should make it like it, these things can exist in the same space, and I think that's what I love so much about it. Like I watched a George Collins show. George Collins show one time, a long time ago. And like somebody put and they, and they pan the audience faces tell it like like one of the religious jokes and like guess who's like really religious or who's not right you can automatically tell it like really religious right from this you know religious jokes right yeah um yeah I don't know it's it's everybody kind of has their 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 thing it's it's interesting I think I I, I love the fact that uh. What I love, so, you, you know, you asked earlier about our comedian supportive and, and yes, I say they, they are, and I love having the conversations. Comedians are always saying, you know, 
what about this? Is this too much? Is this too? And, but, but I love the fact that they're willing to ask. Yeah. And I think that's the key is we got to let, we got to ask. And, and so many times people are so quick to shut people down. But I think, you know, what I love about comedy is that people doing comedy are talking about it. They're opening that conversation and, and having the conversation like what, what isn't funny about this or what is offensive about this? How can I make a, how can we have fun with this without, without it being offensive? Like, where is the funny? Where is, where is it acceptable? Where is it not acceptable? Where is the tension and release? Where is that soft spot? Like that's the art of it. But, um, in what I appreciate is that the exploration of all those areas and being able to take an idea or a thought or a perspective and then deconstruct it and move it all over and get messy. So here's one for you. Talking about comedians being supportive of comedians. Let's say you have a comedian out there, right? They've been over like, you know, 10, 15 years, right? Mm -hmm. And they're still in the same place, right? The jokes aren't getting better. They're still living paycheck to paycheck, you know. They're not going anywhere in the career. When would you tell another comedian, hey, hey, Jason, like, you know, you have a path for this, obviously, but man, I don't know. It might be time for you to think about doing something else or just keep on encouraging because maybe one day he'll get his break. Uh, I don't know. Did that person ask me? <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I mean, everybody's journey is different. It's like, eh, that's, that's, that's a really interesting question because people are like, well, what if you don't make it? I'm like, well, wait a minute. What's your definition of making it versus what my definition of making it is? Because anytime that I'm doing comedy and have comedy in my life, I'm making it. Yeah, maybe just having fun. They're doing the day-to-day -day stuff. Maybe that's what makes that success to them. Exactly. That's a great point. And I mean, sure, there are plenty of people who want a Netflix special or people who want to write a TV show or people who want to do late night. And everybody has their goals. But not everybody has the same goals. And I know people who've been doing comedy for 20, 30 years. And they're hilarious. And they love doing what they're doing. And maybe they want more, but, you know, that... Will they ever take the particular actions needed to get them there? It's, it's in some cases, it's not a matter of whether you're funny or not. Are you doing these other things that are not necessarily joke writing things? <laughs> that it's like entrepreneurship. You may have a brilliant idea, but if you never go and talk to uh, uh, other people or an accelerator or investors, you may never do anything with that idea. But it doesn't mean it's a bad idea, and it's not that it you know it couldn't happen. So. I think everybody's measuring stick is different and I would never discourage someone doing something in comedy. And I also, okay, go into your friends, your friends post and mm. LinkedIn, right? Just look, I read through all of those comments that people are like, I took a comedy class and it was the best thing I did for my public speaking and this. Again, everybody's goal was different as to why they signed up for a comedy. Yeah. Yeah. So. Do uh, comedians always write their own jokes or they like, they better. Or do they have like do they have, do they have writers? Uh, I think a lot of the bigger names often have writers to help them, and then those writers are paid for those uh, jokes. Yes, but typically, like the people come on plausible. Everybody's writing their own jokes. Okay. It's a no-no to steal jokes. Okay. Yeah. Um, is there any special meaning to the name plausible? Yeah, um, it was an available domain. No, <laughs> <laughs> that's how true that story is for most people, <laughs> right? I had uh, originally when I started this idea, it was online open mic, and it was before anybody was doing. It was before COVID, so online open mic wasn't a thing. And then suddenly, 
it was a thing. And I'm like, well, now it's a really generic, broad uh, thing. And it's also way too many words and syllables. And so I explored, by the time I got into Long Beach Accelerator and was getting funding, I'm like, I need to change this name. And so I ended up uh, looking at names, what makes sense. And a lot of people were like, oh, name it like, you know, silly, wacky names. And I'm like, yeah, but this platform, if it's good for this one solo artist, what if it's good for this solo artist? And so, um, again, this goes back to what's scalable. And I want it, when I thought of things that go with comedy or performing, I thought of applause. And then as I started looking at, you know, names and like be plausible like it's doable mm -hmm. it's achievable it's possible be that nice that's a great story thanks um so what's your you already talked about it some about plausible like can you give more details like how it got started what you focus right now what your grand massive vision is, is for the company so what it so say that again <laughs> so so how you got started what you're focused on now, what your grand master vision plan is for in the future. Yeah. So when I got started, it was solve my problem because I was suddenly in LA and traffic was insane and it and I would drive for hours to get five minutes of stage time. And so it started out with that, how do I solve this problem? And then it was like I talked to comedians and they're like, Yeah, I have that problem out here too. And then it's like, Oh yeah, this is so much easier. Um, and I noticed also it comes with age in comedy, like the older we are, the less um, energy. Like, I don't want to be in a bar until, you know, one in the morning. <laughs> I mean, although those things are fun, you know, I also want to get my drool on and get a good night's sleep. So, so yeah, um, it started with that. And it's evolved, obviously, through school and um, the accelerators and incubators and funding has, has been a game changer. And now where I'm going with it is I want to continue really listening to the users of, of it and what are, how can, how can I make it better for them? And that's really having my ear to the ground. I spend a lot of my time talking to customers um, and, and taking feedback and listening and watching and paying attention, but also listening to my team and, and learning and focusing on that. So I really wanted to get it to a place where comedians can start earning money. I think that's really important. And comedians are so used to being paid, or actually not being paid, let me rephrase that. We're so used to not being paid. We're, we typically have to pay for stage time in some way or another, five bucks for five minutes at a mic, or we have to visit a club so many times and get to know the bookers there, to build a relationship there or take classes there in order to get stage time there. And then even then you're not getting paid until you have TV credit. Like, what if we, what if we democratize it? What if we break that down a bit and give people who are truly talented, whether they have a TV credit or not, an opportunity for them to perform and earn earn some some ticket money for that. And that's where the goal is so that people can start making money. And outside of being, you know, like, I'll buy you a beer and here's some fries. Thanks for coming. Or here's some gas money, you know, something beyond that. So it, it rewards because these, these people uh, that I'm talking about, they spend every day writing. They spend days and hours every week uh, writing and reworking jokes and putting it out there more than just a hobby beyond just a hobby and they'll go years without ever getting anything for it and it's 
time that, that, that they get some value. Why do you think no one else is doing this? Or maybe just someone else doing this, but not at your level? I think people are doing it, um, you know, and researching and stuff. Uh, I've seen people make attempts at, and even with musicians, especially, where people can do it. But the apps and things that I've seen are often more social media, kind of. They're mobile apps. Um, they're more uh, for younger user. A lot of my users, one of my older comedians, he's 81. And he's booking regular gigs in the clubs and, you know, uh, uh, and he's good, but he's, is he going to necessarily use a mobile app? And so I think of how these people are connecting and what they're doing on the platform. Um, and the, and what people have been doing before is it's either free, which is great. And, and it gives people an opportunity, but I think also what's missing is how we pay people and the business models that I've seen out there before. There's always a gatekeeper who determines who is good enough to get that money. And I'm taking that out. This is a SaaS product. If you think you're good enough and you want to produce a show and you want to charge a ticket price, you can come on here and do that. And it's not, you know, sometimes we're uh, apps we've seen where a certain number of uh, emojis or clicks or something <laughs> gives you like 10 cents. Yeah, you know that. But where, who else do we pay like that? Great question. So, Leanne, do you do you consider yourself a comedian who's an entrepreneur or entrepreneur who's a comedian? Um, I consider myself someone who doesn't sleep much. <laughs> 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 uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's a great question. I I think it's a mixture of both. Okay. And not just one, okay. you know, because some people may argue at this point, you know, I haven't I haven't been doing the comedy thing, except mostly focusing on plausible mm -hmm. at this point. So at this point, I think I've linked more entrepreneur, <laughs> but, you know, it's all it's all because of my passion. How, for comedy. How much time do you spend doing your comedy on plausible now? D every day. Every day. So you mm -hmm. do a show every day? Every day. Every day I'm on there. Every day I'm on there. How long are your shows every day? Um, So typically they're. An hour, roughly. Okay. The shows have been about an hour. And you do that just to make the platform better? Because some will argue, like, you know, a comedy, an hour of comedy that's taking an hour of build, you know, building your company. I mean, in a way, it is building your company because you're using the platform. Yeah. I'm not always doing stuff. So I'm not producing all of these things. Mm -hmm. These are, the, you know, I'm producing my, I'm doing my open mic on here. And when I first launched it, I put on a whole bunch of mics because I wanted to invite people in. Mm -hmm. Uh, and give them an opportunity to try it out. But now that the more people are coming in, they can produce and put on shows whenever and however they want. Okay. Um, they have that freedom. But I also, as because it's my business, I show up as much as I can to support them, to answer questions, to understand how they're using it, what's working, what's not working, what's missing. Um, what are, how are people responding? Are they staying? Yeah. You know, I'm doing, okay. I'm doing, I'm looking at it from like, Okay. All angles. All, all, all angles, all, angles, all, all the lenses. Time. Okay. Yeah. This is kind of like when I started doing comedy. I stopped going to shows just to be like, ha ha, that's a funny show. But no, <laughs> it's like, what are they doing? How yeah. are they writing? How, how they are they staying? Inflection yeah. of the voice. Yeah. I'm like, how, I, they, how they react when people heckle them. Yeah. I'm deconstructing all of those things. And now I find myself doing the same thing as a, as an entrepreneur is showing up and paying attention to my customers. Like, are they happy? Are they you know, am I hearing the same things over and over? Are they validating what I already thought? It's I'm testing hypotheses all the time. Like I'm I 
I have to. I can't, you know, I can't just be like, and there it is and walk away, (laughs) you know, like, I mean, that would be nice. And, uh, but I can't, that's, that's not my job. My job is to really, I got to keep close, keep my customers close. I got to know what they need and what they want and what they're getting, what, because otherwise they go and find it somewhere else. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So Leanne, let's take Leanne, the comedian, not just Leanne, the comedian. Is this on your bucket list as a comedian? Like, you know, host Saturday Night Live, Netflix special, you know, like what, what's like your bucket list as a comedian? Mm. I would take any one of those things if anyone offered it. I think it would be really fun to write for a TV show. Okay. Yeah. Like a sitcom or something or. Yeah. I really enjoy the writing process and especially, you know, you know, there's a team of writers writing these things yeah. and through the mics and things I've been a part of for the past several years, especially online. Um, thanks to that. Uh, that format and that way of connecting with people, I've learned to be a better collaborator. Is there a certain comedian that, you know, you want to write for? Like this comedian got a sitcom, they'd hire you to be their writer. Is there a certain comedian you'd want to write for? Mm. I'd keep that door open. Uh, yeah, any of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like like I, I just think it would just be such an amazing process to do. Okay. And, I, and I do... I love I love like dissecting things and changing words out and th- yeah that's fun to me. So next part of the question, Leanne entrepreneur, what's your bucket list for that? Is it like have a billion dollar company to get acquired by Netflix or like what's your bucket list as entrepreneur? Or is it just keep on making great products and making your customers happy? I think so. This is my this is this is something I'm super passionate about and I'm very connected to. You know, this has a meaning behind it. And I, I am that person that I was solving that problem for. And, um, this, this is my baby. Like I want to take this as far as I possibly can take it. And by that, I mean, it would be great. I think if, a if a company came and acquired us that could take it and, and not just because like, Oh, here it is. I'll sell it. But I think let, what else can we do with this? Can you do, can you take it and take my vision even farther and go there for the, the betterment of all of this? Then, then let's go there. Like, how far can we take this? Is it an IPO? Okay. Like right now, I think my brain just exploded thinking about all of that mm-hmm. process, you know, but, but yeah, is it possible? And would I be willing to take like, yeah, let's, let's go the distance with this. Okay. So next one is a kind of personal question. I'm presuming so here. So you're, you're married, correct? Yeah. So I'm presuming your husband supports your entrepreneurial journey, right? Yeah. Can you talk about how difficult it would be for you if your husband did not support you? Oh, my God. I cannot imagine. He's He is my biggest cheerleader and my biggest supporter. He is the first person to be like, let me hop on this call. Let me help this person uh, get set up. Let me. He does all of that down to, you know, uh, you're on these calls. I'm going to go get groceries. I'm going to go do these things like He's the best teammate ever. Like, I'm so lucky because I've been married before and it's not always that way. You know, everybody, you know, we all have different places in life. But I'm so fortunate that we're in this together. I couldn't imagine doing it without him and his support. It's, it's very important. And the fact at the end of the day, we can like both share about our our days and what happened. And, you know, yeah. and And just having someone... And so you, so you just finished WTIA. Are you planning on doing any more accelerators, incubators, like coming up? Have you, have you planned on applying any more that you can tell us about? Yeah. So that is an excellent question. Um, a couple of people have told me about different things. 
uh, I believe I have some things sitting in my inbox that I'm looking at. I think right now my next thing is to get us to the end of our, this particular phase of development to revenue first and foremost. And I think, uh, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm open to, you know, I'm ready to walk through doors as, as they open and present okay. themselves. I'm not shut down to that. I do think that, uh, yeah, I don't know. When you look at plausible, do you find that most communities have come from certain locations or they're pretty much spread across the United States pretty evenly? So I think there's obviously a lot more comedians and heavily metropolitan, bigger metropolitan areas. Uh, for instance, like when I did all my research on mics, open mics, right? 40% of the open mics in the U.S. are in California and New York. Mm -hmm. 40%. Yeah, that's a big, big. That's almost half yeah. in two states, right? Granted, those are two big states, but still. But still, right? That's where a lot of that population is. But. There's a lot of mics in between. And then that's just in the US. They're all over. They're all over. And, you know, going through and looking all of them up, I mean, they're in all the countries. They're growing in, in, in rapid pace. Like there's a Discord channel of a, thousands of comedians in Europe. And like there's Facebook groups that I'm part of, with, like 10,000 that are focused on this and 8,000 that are in this area and 9,000 that are. Um, so there's a lot, of course, in bigger areas where there's comedy clubs and there's more opportunity for comedians to do things in person and to get booked. And the, the, I feel like there's just as much talent in between. There's just yeah. as not much opportunity, which I think, you know, the internet is a huge connecting piece. Yeah. So when someone wants to join your platform, do you have to submit a joker first so you can like see it and, or, or just like. No. You join, so there's no like test or nothing like that, or your joke's not funny or not whatever. Just join the NSA, right? Yeah, and you know people people can sign up. People are signing up every day, right? There's somebody new, and and so I go on and I'm like, oh, another new person, and you know, what's your bio? And someone's like, people have been telling me I'm funny. I'm putting myself out there, and I'm you know that person, you know, <laughs> and I want to learn stand up, and so I'm putting myself out there, and I'm like, that's brilliant. This is the place to come do it. This is the community and the and the and comedians, I think overall, to your question earlier again, are very supportive and they're there for for advice and they love to talk and share experiences and information and network in that way. And this is a great place to do that. So I'm guessing as you bring on more people from different countries, different languages, you're gonna eventually have to have some kind of like language translator or something. Yeah, we've talked about yeah. that. So yeah, that'll be interesting. Yeah. So Leanne, is there anything else you want to talk about or any questions I did not ask you that you want to answer that you want to talk about? Hmm. I don't know. So what well, do you have a joke? I don't. Right? Okay. Yeah, I don't. That's fair. Yeah. I'm right. sure you do. I've got jokes. <laughs> I've got jokes. You are you waiting yeah. for one? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It's like, it's like asking your accountant, do you got taxes? Yes. Do some taxes. Let me see you do some taxes. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. I always go to, I always have a joke. It's funny in school, they were, my professors are like, Leanne, do you want to start the class with a joke? I was like, nope. No, no, I don't. <laughs> like, I always put on this. You're getting paid for this hour, not me. Right? Uh, no, it's funny because typically when, when, <laughs> when my family hears about, 
my life coaching or people are like, oh, life coach, you're a life coach. Can you really make a living doing that? And I'm like, no, that's why I have a boyfriend with two jobs. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. I just I have a whole set that I do on those things. But, you know, I have like, for your set, like how often do you just so you talk about the one lady in Vegas do a set over and over again, right? Yeah. How often have you done like a set over and over again? What's your longest oh, my time? gosh. I've done. There's one set. Eh, I mean. I'll take jokes in, put yeah. new jokes in. And stuff. But essentially, there's this one set that I did for a long time, a couple of years. You know, I was still writing other things. Mm-hmm. But what, so when I'd go to a mic, I do some newer things. Mm-hmm. But when I'd get a book show or a paid show, mm-hmm. I do tested yeah. and true things that I know will hit every time. So like my husband now, he he knows my jokes by heart. Like he knows my set. He'll be like, oh, you totally botched that. <laughs> you know, he's like, oh, your timing was off. Oh, you were going a little fast or you missed a yeah. word. Like he would notice when yeah. I missed a word. Because again, you know, I I have it down so that it comes off as yeah. off the cuff or, you know, mm-hmm. uh, more conversational. But it's it's practiced. Yeah. Yeah. So anything else you want to talk about before we move on? I anything? don't think so. Okay. I think we covered a lot. We did, yeah. Uh, can you share your social media so people reach out to you? Yes. Everything is plausible. So Facebook, plausible, P-L-A-U-Z-Z-A-B-L-E. Uh, you can go to Twitter, plausible, P-L-A-U-Z-Z-A-B-L-E. And Instagram, same thing, plausible. Find me on any one of those things. Is there a social media platform that you'd use and that you're like, man, I, I'm not taking full advantage of this right now. I need to like do more on the social media platform. Like, I'm doing well on there, but man, I could really take up to the next level. Well, maybe I need to get more on LinkedIn, Jason. <laughs> you can't, but Jason owns LinkedIn, so. Mm. I want to know about that. Yeah. So yeah, I, those are the ones that I kind of spend all of my time on, like that I put things out because comedians are big on Twitter. Mm-hmm. They also, there's a good number on uh, Instagram for different things. Yeah. And then, you know. And then there are there isn't I don't think anybody that doesn't have Facebook. Yeah. So my comedian my comedians I have a private Facebook group for them so that it makes it easier for them to collaborate for plausible shows. And how many people? Are, well, me back yeah. How many comedians are on plausible right now? Oh, well over a hundred. Over a hundred. Well over yeah. And, and how many? By how many fans are on there? Well over that. Okay. There's more fans on there than okay. there are comedians. That's that's a good thing. Yeah. That's a good sign for yeah. you without a so doubt. So comedians. What are you waiting for? We have fans waiting for you to produce shows. And there can be multiple shows and mics happening at the same time on this platform. So it's not like just one thing is happening. You can have multi, you get like if, even if something else is booked for seven o'clock on a Saturday, you can also produce a show for seven o'clock on a Saturday. But things can be going 24 7. 24 7. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, how to put this question? So these, say you have 100 comedians. Is there a problem with bandwidth? I suppose all hundred want to do comedian uh, show the same day. Is there a problem with bandwidth? They got it like is it scheduled out or something? Uh, right now, there's no problem. Okay, we'll let you know if that changes. Okay, <laughs> so, good, yeah, good. that would be a server issue. But but right now, those things those things can all happen simultaneously. Nice. So, Lane, we kind of want to talk. Can you give us advice or wisdom or anything you want to talk about? So, advice, I would say, keep a good sense of humor. <laughs> especially in entrepreneurship (laughs) Mm, lots of material to be had uh so yeah i just think keeping a sense of humor and uh you know my goal trying to get more steps in my day and not just to the bathroom in the kitchen (laughs) (laughs) thanks again leon thanks for being here i really appreciate it thank you so much i appreciate this it was great talking to you
And to our listeners, thanks for your time as well. Remember to be great every day. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Jason Kavnis Experience. Be sure to connect with us across social media at Kavnis HR. Thank you, and remember to be great every day. Don't you know, pump it up, don't you know, pump it up.